This is episode 23 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Hey Ron, the next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the Quidditch pitch, just remember that time. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is Potterfic Weekly, and I am Jen, and I am here with co-host Ryan and guest host Kim, who is a big fan of A Year Like None Other. And this is Kim the second, uh, not to be confused with our previous host, Kim. (laughs) This is a totally different Kim. Totally different Kim. Hey, Kim. How are you? Hi there. Great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Now, this is Kim's first podcast, and I don't think she knows what she's in store for this evening. We're talking about a year like none other with Jen, so it's, it's going <laughs> to hey. be a very interesting conversation regardless, so we're really happy to uh, have you tonight, Kim. Thank uh, you. I have been duly warned, so I'm I'm expecting anything. Okay, if, if, if we happen to reference a busload of Chinese nuns, uh, Yellowstone <laughs> National Park, or parking brakes, just don't be alarmed, okay? I'll work on it. All right. I always wonder what people think who don't listen to the show who hear me say that. They must have a point. Yeah, Yeah, they're like, what is this? So, Jen, we're starting a new fic this week, I hear. We are. We're starting my absolute favorite fic, probably of all time. It's called A Year Like None Other by Aspen in the Sunlight. I'm really, really really excited that we're going to be doing this fic. It's a big, huge fic. But it is totally worth the read, in my opinion. Yeah, and we, I've been looking forward to starting this one for a while. Uh, Ryan, let me tell you and Kim what happened today. Okay, we had our big grand opening at the store, right? Yes. So they tell us to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. A reasonable o- request, okay. No, that's not reasonable. I, we don't open the studio until 10. I was at work at 7 this morning. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I quit teaching, so that I could do my uh, own hours at 10, because I'm not an early person. And uh, yeah. it didn't help last night that we, me and Richard and, and she and Itai were up last night until like 2, recording for the Masterfic Theater. But anyway, so I got up this morning, and I was like, oh. So I get up there, and there's like 20 old people who are very excited to greet us and have our opening and blah, blah, blah. And they pull out this red, thick ribbon. And this pair of scissors, literally, that is the, just like the ones you envision seeing on TV, you know? Uh-huh. But every time I see it on TV, you know, they take the picture and you cut the ribbon, right? Yeah. Right. Well, and the scissors felt metalish, okay? Like part of the metal family. Uh-huh. And when they took the picture and I snapped the, the scissors, it did, the, th- the ribbon didn't cut. And Uh-oh. so your I ribbon cut- cutting was unsuccessful. It was unsuccessful. Well, so I start like gnawing on this <laughs> ribbon, trying to. Oh, no. trying You're to biting it. the ribbon with your teeth. No, no, no! With my scissors, gnawing it with my scissors. And the old person next to me literally took the scissors out of my hand and told me that it was metaphorical. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I ended up looking like this idiot. Because they told me to cut the ribbon, and it wouldn't cut. I was, I was really not. Anyway, that was my. You remind me of Best Truman. 
I don't know who I don't know who that is, but have you ever heard of Harry Truman? He was the president, right? Yes, he was. Not Lyndon Johnson, but Harry Truman was the president. <laughs> Last night I mentioned Lyndon Johnson, and Jim was like, "Who is that?" Okay. Well, Harry had a wife, my time? and her name was Bess, and she was she didn't she was the first lady. She never wanted you know him to run for president. She really she's following Eleanor Roosevelt, who is this you know very energetic first lady, and she just didn't care, and she didn't want to have press conferences, and she didn't want to talk to reporters. So they kind of, she, she was very miserable most of the time. She had to do her first lady functions. So they sent her to do the commissioning of like a boat or an airplane or something. And what you usually do is you take a bottle of champagne and you break it over the bow of the thing. And you've now christened the thing. And what they will do is they will put deep scratches, I believe, into the side of the bottle. So you can just tap it over the side of the, of the thing you're the commissioning. Boat? Of the like boat? Like a boat? Right. Like maybe like a boat. And the thing will just, you know, it will just, it will, it will shatter and the, and the champagne Wait, will Wait, did go she over. have a Shrek moment? Well, what happened was the bottle they gave her didn't have scratches. So it's like a reinforced bottle. So Bessel Truman, <laughs> in front of all the reporters, is smacking the thing over the side, like over, like she's trying oh to beat the crap out of it. And she looked like an absolute idiot in front of, you know, the American people. So, Jen, I, I, I just want you to feel that somewhere Bess Truman is, is thinking of you fine. I sympathize with her. She sounds like my kind of lady. But what? okay, I can't be too far off the dot there. When they tell you to cut the ribbon, I'm just, and then it gave me an evil look like it's a metaphor. <laughs> I just, would have done the same thing you did, Jen. I would never have known it was metaphorical. Now, I know. Do you have? Do you feel as though this is a bad omen for your business that you were unable yes. to have a ribbon coming? Like from- the picture is like of me like frowning and like my tongue is like out <laughs> oh, on the side of my mouth with effort. You know, like <laughs> maybe it's the worst thing that will ever happen, and now it's out of the way. I'm just like, great. This is our publicity. I just have to tell you, I went to a wedding a few years back in uh, New Hampshire, and they were the the couple, my friend and and her husband, were getting married in a gazebo overlooking a beautiful lake. We're in a very residential area of uh, of New Hampshire, and there's this at the I forget where we were. The function hall had this beautiful, you know, lake in front of it with the gazebo. So it, it turned out to be a disaster. A speedboat went by in the middle of the ceremony. And the gust of wind blew, you know, all of the papers out of the minister's hands, so she couldn't remember her lines oh, to marry the people. And there was so much noise, you couldn't hear anything. And you know, the the the, the, the sound system failed, and the, you know, the, the cars were beeping their horns. It was terrible. And at one point, they had to light the flame of eternal love, and it wouldn't light. Oh no. And they tried like two different lighters. What is the light of eternal love? Whatever it was, is it was like we part of the ceremony. We light this flame, which signifies your eternal love for each other, because the flame cannot. Oh, be the accepted. unity candle. It's something like unity candle, but they called it the flame of eternal love, and it wouldn't light. And, <laughs> and they, like the photographer is walking up with his lighter, and they could. So they got married without the flame of eternal love so oh, I, no. I have to feel like that was some type of omen but symbolic for divorce <laughs> right but i'm sure you're going to be fine with your business <laughs> thanks wink wink kim welcome <laughs> to perfect weekly we're glad to have you thank you i'm glad to be here okay um i just want to say one thing about you're like none other because i'm absolutely the newbie here i uh, and just for those of you who may have 
joined us, you know, maybe who haven't listened to our podcast before, uh, we've released some like 26 episodes already, but maybe you're joining because you love, uh, your love like none other. Uh, hi, we're crazy and welcome. Uh, if that's the case, uh, I'm a person who came to fan fiction, who jumped into the very classic, I call them canon-esque, uh, fan fictions, you know, like the Harriet Hogwarts, you know, the, the alternate year six fix, the alternate year seven, maybe post Hogwarts fix. So I'm one of those people who's very comfortable around like what I recognize. So a Snape adopts Harry fic is, you know, way out of that mold for me. So this is my first real venture outside of like, you know, like the playground where I'm comfortable. So I've, I've really been looking forward to doing this because it is like, I'm a very open-minded person. And I've Mm -hmm. said this in, in many different podcasts and privately to, to Jen and, and to everybody else. For people who love fics where Harry and Draco are best friends. If you are telling you know, a year six fic, say it's a post order of the Phoenix fic and you're writing a novel length fic and you start off in chapter one with Harry writing Draco a letter, you know, asking him for advice or telling him about, you know, how he's doing with the loss of Sirius. I'm not going to read it because it instantly has turned me off because that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. You can't start a story off with something that completely violates the canon that just came before it. If the story itself is being, you know, put out there as, you know, a story that follows, you know, in this case, Order of the Phoenix or Half-Blood Prince or whatever. For me to appreciate something which is, you know, very different from what Joe Rowling has written, you know, the author has to take me from A to B and has to show me, you know, start Harry off hating Draco and then over the course of so many chapters, bring him around and, you know, realistically convince me that this could happen. Well, so you can understand what's going on. Right. So you're not just pressed into a new... Yes, yes. I, so I guess what I'm saying here is I can instantly say right now, I could read a Snape Adopts Harry fic. I could read a Harry Hermione fic. I could read you know, a Harry Drake fic. I could read pretty much any fic that you put before me as long as you take the characters I recognize, the point that I'm familiar with, a stated point, you know, after this year, after this event... And you show me why they go from here to there. I haven't read slash fix, and one of the reasons is, you know, you can't, like, for me to start reading a fic where all of the characters are now homosexual who were just heterosexual last week, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But if you do it in such a way, like, you know, maybe Remus or Sirius, if you do it in a way that makes sense to me, I'll, 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 definitely give it a chance, and if it's well-written, it might become my favorite fic someday. Well, I think that a slash fic can be just like any other plot-based fic. I think a lot of the slash fics that I read, I know, start it at where you say, you know, where canon leaves off, yeah. and they go through their emotional change right. or whatever. And, and, and that's a completely different uh, situation right, for me. Right, right. So, because, you know, we've heard a lot of people, you know, as, you know, on the Parfic Weekly forums, for those of you who haven't gone there, um, go to parficweekly.com, click on forums, uh, join up. We're a really close-knit uh, group of people who talk about everything, and it's a really great uh, family atmosphere there. We've heard several people say, you know, I, I really couldn't read, you know, a Harry Snape adoption fic. It's just, it's not my thing. Well, I, I won't say that. I want to read it, and I want to know, you know, I want to know why other people love it. I want to know why the Harry Hermione people love what they love. I haven't experienced it yet, and I have no idea why they love what they love, but I, I want to understand that. So, And you're open to new things. And, exactly. And so, about you. so this is... 
I'm going to just lay out right now where I am. I am. I have read the chapters for tonight. I, I, because I, you know, go to school and I work and I travel and all this stuff. I haven't read beyond that yet. But I am up to the chapters that we've read tonight. We've read chapters uh, one through eleven for tonight. Uh, we're not going to spoil anything that comes ahead. So if you're listening to this and you haven't read those chapters, go read them now, and you can listen to us every week. And we're not going to spoil what comes ahead. So you can listen to us as you read it. Uh, and I'm open to it, and I don't know if I'll like it. <laughs> Maybe I'll get to, you know, chapter 60 or 70 and say I can't do it, but I'm going to I'm gonna give it my best shot, and after this, I'm going to try a Harry Hermione if I can do the same thing. So I'd encourage anyone who's listening to this right now who maybe likes us and not necessarily the fix we're discussing, give new things a chance. This is the first really new thing we've tried since we started this podcast, so give it a chance. And this is how I'm going to – I know I'm like – filibustering here, so I promise I'll stop in a second. Uh, This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to treat this like a story where, you know, if Aspen is able to do what I just said, if she's able to reasonably convince me that, you know, Snape goes from A to B and Harry goes to A to B, I'm going to have no problem at all accepting the storyline. If I find, you know, as I'm reading that she had to tweak the characters and fudge the characters and kind of realign the characters a little bit to get them where she wanted them to tell a good story... I'll point out that I didn't think she did that successfully, but I'm not going to let it ruin the story for me, and I'm not going to let it... Like, we just read uh, The Seventh Horcrux by Melinda Leo, and we all said that in the early chapters there were seams, because she was realigning the characters from uh, Half-Blood Prince to get them where she wanted them, so sometimes they didn't seem like they were themselves, or they, they, it's, it, something seemed a little weird to get to... It's literally, you could see Melinda's hands moving the characters around on the chessboard. So I'm going to point that out, too, but I'm going to I'm, I really, I want to like this fic. I really do. Well, so. I think a lot this this conversation will be fun for the people who like the fic as well. I, I have to say that I know that a, a a majority of our listeners currently are not necessarily as a they haven't got they haven't you know looked outside of canon really right. fics that are actual very canon. Um, but I think that we also have a, a lot of listeners who who have read the story. And who will enjoy our discussions and just to participate in, in the reread with us again. And um, I know that Kim and I both have read this story several times. And so I know that Ryan is really coming across as, as the newbie. But yeah, exactly. I'm not the only one. We have read this fake. And if you go anything by what we like and say, um, then then I can ensure that readers will, will like the fic as well. Right, and as we go into future episodes, we're going to try and have a very balanced uh, hosting ensemble. For this fic and for every other fic that we cover, we're going to have people on it reading it for the first time. We're going to have people on it who absolutely love the story. We're going to have you know outlandish praise. We're going to have some criticism. We're going to have a very balanced uh, discussion of the story. Everyone who's on it, we're obviously going to be extremely respectful of the material, and if you've listened to half of what we've produced so far, usually by respectful, I mean, like, you know, hugging the author, you know. And, well, right. our so, intention is not to, to criticize these authors to where they don't write and that our, our goal is not to insult these stories. Yeah, and we're not going to do the opposite. <laughs> we're, we're, our goal also is not to, you know, you know, become fangirls and fanboys and point out this is you know the best fic ever. Unless we want cancer. to, of unless course. we want to, yeah, we're gonna have. I just want everyone, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a very balanced discussion. It's gonna be very fair and it's gonna be very exciting. And if Jen is any example, every week something will happen on the show that you will be talking about with your friends. Lovely. This is true. <laughs> 
So I think that's it. And uh, as always, we encourage everyone to participate in these discussions. Anything that you hear, uh, send us voicemails, send us emails, contribute to the show, visit our forums, take part in the discussion. We definitely want to hear anything you have to say, and we'll have some contact info uh, later on in the show for you. So uh, with that, Jen, why don't you start us off tonight? Okay. Well, the first thing I want to point out, well, I want to tell everybody where they can find this story first. Um, and if they go to the Skyhawk archives, Kim, is that where you read the story from? Yes, I read it at Skyhawk. Yeah, skyhawk.com. Um, that is where this story is, and it's and it houses it houses a lot of other really good stories. Um, for people who are interested, I know Skyhawk is not exactly one of the most popular sites. I don't think. Um, it's not like fanfiction.net or Schnoogle, but I think it's really growing. And I really, I've found that I like the stories that the site holds a lot. And if it's easier for you to remember, if you actually go to potterfickweekly.com, on the left-hand side, we have a, a link that says Now Reading. If you click on that, it'll bring you right to the story as well on uh, the Skyhawk yeah. website. So if you can remember that, cool. Right. I also want to say that I know that uh, I know this story has won several awards. I know that we've mentioned a few of the awards other people have written in the story, you know, when after the end and, and it's the seventh Horcrux. Um, but I know, and I'm just bringing this up because we're doing our own awards ceremony thing, which I hope to get up on the ground, you know, this next week. Um, off the ground, not on the ground. It's on the ground. But, um, is it on the ground, or are we trying to get it off, or is it below the ground? <laughs> we're trying, trying to get, get it, it off or below the ground. Uh, anyway. We're trying to bury the Perfect <laughs> Weekly uh, nomination awards. No, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I just have got to get to the time. It's been crazy. But anyway. Perfectforum.com, um, which weekly awards vote for your favorite whatevers. Everything's on there. You can vote for your favorite deodorant, I'm sure, if you want. Just go vote. Yeah, I have to really say that I really like the award things that websites give other, like, stories and things, because I think it also allows sort of a review-type recommendation list, and, uh, you know, and, and I personally like looking at the, the different kinds of awards that are given out and seeing, giving those stories a chance, just another way, another means of finding new stories to read. Do you think we should have an award, like, on Powerfic Weekly for, you know, this fic made Jen cry, you know, 2007, and just. Oh yeah, definitely. That should be a category. We should do. But that. anyway, uh, this and I know in fall of 2006, uh, the Sorting Hat chose this as the best Snape as Harry's father story yet written. In the summer of 2006, voters at the multifacted, is that how you say it? at the multifacted awards, honored it as Fasc- best Jen fic. Faceted? Really? Yes. It's F-A-C-T-E-D. Really? Yes. I had no idea what that word is anyway. <laughs> I don't know what it means. She can't but... cut ribbons. She can't. <laughs> it's like it's a really diamond awful. with many facets, many sides. Oh, lovely. I'm so glad you're here. Well, in the summer of 2006, voters at the Multifaceted Awards honored it as Best Genfic and Best Draco Fic. In the spring of 2007, voters at the Quills Awards, I don't know if anybody's familiar with those. I love those awards. Um, honored it at it Quills. They you did? Yeah. Oh really? Oh, one of them anyway who nominated it for Quills. Oh, I don't. Uh, you're like none other one best one third place as best drama. And uh, back way back when I started this story, this is actually how I came across it. I thought it was so funny I'd, I'd come across this. Um, I don't know if y'all know the Phoenix Feather Awards. I don't. Are y'all know. familiar with that? No. Um. Not- anyway. It, it, when it was still a WIP, it won the best WIP angst story. 
Right. So I thought that was really, ex- <laughs> so anyway, that's, I thought it was funny because I had remembered how I had stumbled across this story. So I, I, I just like to personally say I encourage award people. I think it's a good thing. So you are for, you're in favor of awarding people for things they do. Absolutely. When they work, I mean, th- these authors spend years writing these. I know this particular story was a two-year writing, you know, and there's just not enough praise that can be said about the dedication of these fans. Absolutely. And I definitely want to thank Aspen for not only writing effect that, you know, took up two years of her life, but, you know, in putting it out there for the world to see, but letting us talk about it for 13 weeks for like three hours a week. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. like, I don't want to underestimate this even a little bit you know like if that were me i would be sitting there cringing having bitten all my fingernails off afraid they're not going to like like a verb i use and we're pretty you know blunt people so it, it, it's it's awesome that she's letting us do that we really appreciate it and uh actually she's a member of the perfect weekly forum and there's a thread up about this fic there so if you happen to want to you know chat with aspen or whatever definitely head over to our uh forums and i just want to just stop the podcast for a second thank aspen i've thanked her back on the road okay no well she's really she's one of those authors that is really hands-on with the people who read her stories and she loves conversing about the fandom like she loves talking about canon i mean she's not just an author who kind of stays in the shadows like she really she's a hands-on actor uh actor she's a hands-on actor <laughs> really perhaps you'll remember asking from chicago <laughs> hope picket fences she was the voice of Penny on Inspector Gadget. We're not sure if many people in the fandom are familiar with that. But anyway, so just give her an email or send her right her on the forums and she'll respond and she's great. Or join her Yahoo group. She has a Yes, good Yahoo point. Group. We love Aspen's Yahoo group. Tell her tell about the Yahoo group. If you go to let me see, it would be www.groups.yahoo.com slash group slash a year like none other. That should get you there. And I will have to say, I mean, there I'm I'm part of like thirteen Yahoo groups. And a year like none other, I mean, they it's really active all the time. Something yeah, always Can we at Perfect on. Weekly know how active it is? <laughs> yeah. That, we have fun right. there. We don't just talk about Aspen's book, but about the uh, canon books, too. Yeah, they, there was a huge Deathly Hallows discussion going on and the movies and everything. It's just really fun. Her group cracked so, us up. She put a uh, message out on her group a few months ago telling them that, you know, Pyrofic Weekly was going to uh, review a year like none other and to go, you know, hang out on our forum. And we're all sitting there one night. We were a small group of like 20, 30 people. And all of a sudden, within like <laughs> one night, 80 people or something like that joined the group yeah. in like a two-hour period. And we, but we didn't know where they were coming from. <laughs> we thought we were being like inv- it was funny we're like you know grabbing our children the Russians our- are invading no. <laughs> we're grabbing our children and our chickens and running for the hills because like, we're like what the hell is that run and it was kind of funny but we I love think- them now <laughs> we know who they are well we can uh, we can start on the actual fake now I know that I ended up I was writing notes and I was just kind of doing like plot points so that we could just kind of go point to point to point without having to uh, take forever trying to figure out where we are each time. Hey, Jen, how many pages of notes do you have? I have 19. (laughs) I don't know how that happened. I think it's longer than chapters 1 through 11. I think we know how that happened, Jen. I think it's okay. I know. And one thing, and one thing we're going to try and do for a year like none other, just based on the sheer volume of it, I think it's the size of a phone book if you print it out, 
is in previous stories that we've discussed, we've gone uh, chapter by chapter and we've discussed it based on uh, plot. We've gone, you know, the plot of chapter one to two to three. We're going to try and have a more free range uh, discussion and we're going to bounce around, you know, throughout the chapters, throughout the episode. And we're going to try and make this a more character based discussion than a plot based discussion, just so we can tackle such a large uh, story in 12, 13 episodes. So we may be bouncing around, but we're not going to go beyond chapter 11, but we might go from like 10 to 6 to 4. So wear your seatbelts. I actually found that, you know, the two years I was in the fandom, I was going on all the forums of all the major sites looking for like the best fic recommendations. And I had a list of like 50 and a year like none other was actually on the list, but I actually didn't read it because it was a Snape Harry fic, and that wasn't my thing at the time. I wasn't, you know, the, the, the well-rounded person I am today. So I actually had it on my laptop ready to read um, when I met Jen, and I promised her I would... I actually was an awful human being. I promised her I would read it a few months ago, for, you know, as an exchange. She watched a fan film I love, and I was going to read A Year Like None Other, and I read it for like 20 minutes, and like my house caught on fire or something, so I had to stop. So... But I'm um, 11 chapters in, and I am incredibly, extraordinarily impressed with the writing style, and I can't wait to see what happens next. So I'm going to stop there and turn it over to Jen, who... I think no, turn it to Kim. Or, I, I okay. take that back. We're not going to let Jen speak. Kim? Okay. <laughs> uh, I started with fan fiction about a year ago, and um, the first fan fiction I ever read, I think, was A Year Like None Other. And oh, for wow. me, just like what Ryan was saying, I couldn't handle anything that was not canon. But I had gone through withdrawal, waiting for this last book for so long, I couldn't handle it anymore. And I had heard about fan fiction, and I don't remember where I found this book. But And it is a book. It's a huge, it's a huge book. story. Yeah, it's, it's big. And um, when I saw that Snape adopted Harry, I thought, right. And... I started reading it because it was so well-written. And when I got through to where Snape and Harry began becoming friendlier to each other, liking each other, appreciating each other, I realized that through all the books, there was one thing missing in all of those canon books, and that was that Snape never understood who Harry really was. He went on an assumption that he was a spoiled brat who had anything he ever wanted, who was given free reign to do whatever he wanted and had a uh, fan club that he just adored and believed himself to be a prince among men. And that totally wasn't who Harry was. Mm -hmm. So when I read this book and uh, saw him come to know Harry for who he really was, and I think that Aspen did it beautifully in this book, instead of happening in one or two chapter, one or two uh, paragraphs, like in some fictions, she took <laughs> she took quite a few weeks, months for them to get to know each other. And it was yeah. beautifully done. And it just fixed something in me that had been missing throughout all these years of reading these Harry Potter books. When I kept waiting for Snape to, to look at Harry and see what he couldn't see before. And he never did, at least not until the very, very end. But in this, he does. And it, it just worked. Okay, yeah. I'm done. I I have to say, I think that was my first big appeal of this story was that I was one of those firm believers from the book one that Snape was actually a good guy, only he just had these awful misconceptions of who Harry was. And the draw of this story to me was the fact that we get to see it 
happened. Their their relationship. See Snape realize what's going on, and see Harry learn to trust and gain that family member that's so so long. I mean, I know that in book four or five, I really just really desperately wanted Harry to have a home, and I think this is the first fic that I read that. It happened, and it happened in a way that I had never expected it to happen. Like, I never had imagined Snape adopting Harry, but I really liked, I liked the, the idea of these two characters on opposite ends of the spectrum coming together and, and making this story happen. But um, I just really liked, and I liked that, that she does take her time. I mean, I think when uh, she sat down and, and wrote it, I think her main purpose was that she definitely was not going to speed through things she she really wanted to write about the natural progression of things i think that that got me to reading to about 15 or 20 and uh i I joined their yahoo group then and that was when she was publishing i don't know if you remember but every week on tuesday she was publishing a, a, a chapter and it was sort of like every week going and tuning into your favorite episode on tv only it was better and every week i kept thinking it's not going to get better than it was last week and every week it was like oh my gosh it was so much better and so i just really liked there were cliffhangers and the yahoo group really started getting active and i started seeing all the different ages like i think they started doing like how old are you and kind of the groupings of people and at that point i thought fan fiction was only read by college students and younger and they were all girls and like i just had this idea that fan fiction people who read it were just as dorky and just like me and i found that the people who read this story went from like age 10 like people were reading this story to their kids and like from age 10 to like age like in their 50s and 60s and i was like oh my gosh you know there's something special about this and it just really drew me in and i found that i just when she finally finished it I was so hooked. I, there's no way that I could have imagined not having been a part of the story being made and written and, and being able to read it. So I agree completely. <laughs> and I'm 44 for the record, so I know what you mean about older people. I was so glad to see I wasn't the only one who was hooked on fan fiction in my 40s. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like that should be like you know like a like an AA kind of group? Like I'm hooked on fan fiction in my 40s. It just sounds. There are email groups for people over 40 who like Harry Potter fan fiction. Well, I think it's great. I mean, I can't... My parents are really young, 50. You know what I mean? And I can't imagine them... Like, they have their own... My mom is a huge Star Trek, and she goes to her conventions, and, like, she dresses up, and, like... I can't imagine... I, it makes me glad that there are people of an older age group that are fans, you know, because it, it makes it not so... It's more well-rounded. It's for everybody. Like, this is a playground that everybody gets to play in. Yeah. Well, even if you well, look being at the- a magical society, I don't think is is a dream of just the young. Yes. Right. And I'm young, awesome. too, even in my 40s. It's a dream we'd all love to live through. Yeah, I mean, and that's even if you look at the Parfait Weekly uh, community, we have people who are, you know, in their young teens. We have people who are, you know, in their in their thirties and forties and older. And it's everyone is on like an equal playing field. It's it's really interesting what this fandom has created. There's you know people who are sixty five are desperate to see how Deadly Hallows, you know, ended, and so are the fourteen year olds. It was and like <laughs> and everyone my was eleven year old. Yes, my now twelve year old has read this a year like none other too. When she oh, they have. She did. She read it when she was 11. Took my computer for so many hours. It was all... (laughs) Or days, I can imagine. Days and days. She She has glasses on. (laughs) 
staring at the white screen. That was Very unfortunate. Nearly. That was unfortunate. Um, why don't we jump into the uh, discussion of the chapters? We have a lot to get through tonight. Jem, why don't you start off? I have a couple points, but I want to hear where you um, start this from. Okay. Well, I think the best place to start is at the beginning where uh, that was deep. I love the title. I know. I love the title of this fake because it the, the title is A Letter from Surrey. And it makes me laugh because this whole complex story starts with the single letter. I don't know if it 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 really does. And uh, it's one of those fakes that you absolutely can't scroll through or you will miss an important plot point for a few chapters to come. It's one of those paragraphs. You'll miss one of those. Exactly. And I mean, she's such a, a detail oriented writer and she does it really well. And, and I think, I think the writing style was the first thing that really pulled me in. She writes in a natural way. Like, she really captures dialogue better than any other author I've ever read. You just feel engrossed from the beginning. You know what really pulled me into this? And I'm not sure if this was... Like, I'll put this out there as a neutral uh, fact because I I haven't decided yet what I think about it. I think... I really like it. I'm not sure if it fits, but I really like it. Um, As you go through the chapters... And, Jen, we've talked about this before... uh, Every author, when they start a fic, they need to define who they're writing to, and they may be writing to you know you know young people, old people, or like we just said, you know to to, to every and all age groups. But they have a specific story they want to tell. They want to tell you know the story about Ginny and how she deals with what Tom Riddle did to her. They want to tell the story of Harry becoming a man or Harry becoming a parent. There's this there's a specific type of story they're trying to tell, and the Example I always give with that is if you look back at, you know, Chamber of Secrets in, in the canon, you know, after Ginny went through that year of hell, you know, she's completely fine when she gets to the, um, when she gets to the Great Hall at the end. Whereas if you had, you know, uh, if that was something written towards older people, you know, you would have had Ginny in therapy for three years. It depends on the <laughs> story you're writing. So it seems like as we start, you're like none other. We've just come off of the death of Sirius. We've just moved into year six, a few months later. And one thing that it, it, it seemed to me was that Harry, he seemed somewhat younger a little bit. He 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 yeah. seemed slightly different, not exactly the character that we just left behind. So there was a little bit of a seam there, but that's okay because if that's the story Aspen wants to write, she's positioning the character to be the one she wants to write about. And, and 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 that's okay. But the thing about Harry is that he is, you know, for someone who is really not maybe a sixteen-year-old, he seems a little bit younger than that to me. But he is so intuitive, and he is so perceptive. The things he picked up about Snape's behavior from his perspective, I loved how she wrote that in there. It was extremely well written, and it was mm-hmm. it, 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 it was interesting. I'm not saying it was bad. Or good. It, it was interesting that you have a younger Harry who is just so sharp and, and it's interesting for Harry himself because Harry you know in Ron usually we joke and fix you know have the you know the intuitiveness and the perceptiveness of, of you know a lamp they, they, they you know they, they miss the fact that these girls are in love with them and that they need their friends and, and, and they miss the big things but like the scenes when we're at Privet Drive and Harry you know re- and we're in the hospital and, and Harry realizes that Snape understands common nicety and common courtesy and it's not something alien to him so based on that when Snape completely you know blows it off in his classroom and acts like it's foreign to him he's not you know sheltered or he's not you know emotionally or socially stunted he's just being an ass 
<laughs> and that, like that's such a sharp. Like I read that, I'm like, well, okay. So I could tell this is a story where she was really getting into, you know, what these. And that was pretty sharp for a guy who usually in most fix, you know, can't tell the underwear is on the outside of his pants. So I just thought that was a great. That was a very original way to write Harry. And you know, maybe it, like I'm not sure. You know, I have to get a little bit more into it. But I just wanted to point that out. That I was re- I was rereading this today before the podcast, and that really jumped out at me. That you really, as, an, as a reader, have to pay attention because it's. It's, yeah. it's it's very sharply uh, it's very sharply written. I think you're right about Harry being rather young, mature wise. Yeah. I think in this story, but then again, Aspen is very good at describing consequences to people's emotions. From I don't know what I'm trying to say the the things that happen to them. Mm-hmm. So much has happened to Harry, and he's coming into this sixth year with a huge history and he's not capable yet of being a totally grown up secure in himself Mm -hmm. human being yet and i think that he needs to be younger like this because the story is so well written that snape is given that opportunity to help harry become who he is whereas in the canon books he was never there was no one who helped him become functional adult. Yeah, he did it himself with help from his friends, but there was no one to really jump in. I think this is also kind of shows how fan fiction writers take a story from where they're left off and they this was written after Order of the Phoenix and before there was even mention of Half Blood Prince. Like I mean it was still in the writings and we didn't know anything about what was going on. And I remember reading Half Blood Prince and going, Wow, well Harry grew up all of a sudden and I remember it being awkward for me to read because I hadn't expected Harry to become a man in that one. Well, sure. How many fan fictions did you just read where Harry's depressed and you know is on suicide watch for a year because you know the death of Sirius, and then you read in Half Blood Prince, you know he's in the tool shed with the Dumbledore. Oh, I've learned to get past that. I think Sirius, yeah, yeah, he'd be happy. And in like in those two sentences, that was like you know an entire forty-seven you know chapter fic that you just read the week before. It was exactly to me. I think I always felt that I liked. Aspen's uh, take on it where instead of him becoming more manlike and more independent and grown up, he just became more um, I'm trying to think of the word. He broke down a little bit. He, 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 he Yeah, he's broken. He is, a, everyone in this character is, a, is kind of a broken character and, and they have to be fixed. And, but they don't know how, how to fix, they don't know what's wrong to fix it. They can't, I mean, and they all just kind of work together. And, but um, to get, yeah. you know, where they all need to be. Yeah. But I think Harry in this He's just sort of accepted at this point that life sucks and that right doesn't always win and that sometimes bad things happen just because bad things happen over and over and over. And I think it really made him step back a little bit. And in that, I really liked the character that she grasped. And he does seem a bit younger, but I think when when terrible things happen and keep happening to someone they revert to a, a mentality, an emotional mentality that they're they're comfortable with. And I think in viewing the world more childlike is a way to get through it rather than taking... Because I think when you step into the shoes of, okay, I'm an adult, you also take on the responsibilities of being an adult. And this, right. him, him being a younger kid at this point emotionally shows, just shows us how not ready he's ready for that step. Yeah, and know it is too. And, and it's not just that he's younger; he's pissed. I mean, Dumbledore, 
you know, has kept well, him in the dark. Angry. Yeah, yeah and, and this is one thing, too. I mean, if you go on the forums, you're going to read comments I wrote about this fic from a few months ago. What happened was, we, whatever we were reading at the time, we were reading uh, after the end. And at the same time, I was trying to read A Year Like None Other. And if you've ever tried to read two fan fictions <laughs> that are, like, literally, I, I needed to take you know, prescription pain medication. Like it was like, (laughs) like it's, and it's so weird. It's like you read Harry, you know, on the left-hand side, you read a Harry who, you know, held it together during a terrible war. And then the other side, he's screaming at Dumbledore that he wants a makeup test. And, and, and you're, and you're like, Oh, get over it. If you look at yourself on my other hand, you're being so much more mature. And it was, it was so, so confusing. Plus, and let me even just say this in the beginning. I think if I had to go back a few months, my main complaints, and I read the same chapters over again. Uh, my my complaints the first time were I didn't like the character or the characterization of Dumbledore. I didn't find the characterization of Saint believable, and I thought Harry didn't seem right. And going back at it now, I don't think that. And I think one thing that helped was the fact that the canon came out, book seven came out. And that was sort of an eye-opening experience for me because <laughs> no, just like we were just saying a minute ago, you could read, yeah. you know, a, a, a forty-six chapter fic about what to do with the Dementors at Azkaban, and you could, you know, then read the, the next canon fic, and it's a throwaway line in chapter two, or you can, you know, read all of these fics about the emotional growth of Harry, and then don't worry, he's fine. And, cha- and th- that's the thing: who is Joe writing to? Joe is writing to primarily kids, many adults, but she's not in this to write an in-depth analysis of depression. And she's not in this to write about <laughs> Harry's desire to have a father figure in his life. I mean, if he does, I'm sure it's a small plot point, but that's not the story that Joe writes. That's why we all, you know, get paid the big bucks to do this. Really kidding, <laughs> like really kidding. But I mean, that's so. Yeah. So, and it. I guess that's natural. If Number one, if you're going to write a story, you know, about Harry finding, you know, a family, that Harry is not going to seem like the Harry in Joe's story. And it's like, it's it's like, I call it, you know, kind of like re- the rose-colored lenses. If you're reading Philosopher's Stone, you're reading a story from the perspective of an 11-year-old kid who just got scooped out of a very, you know, depressing and abusive environment and got dropped into this magical world where he's a hero and he has friends and he has an owl who's not dead yet. And it's a wonderful oh. story to read. Who, who oh. he hasn't <laughs> even yet because Jen apparently thought that, you know, oh, Hedwig was his terrible <laughs> All right, I need to start because people aren't going to know what I'm talking about. Jen made a reference oh. that it's a good thing that Harry didn't eat Hedwig, you know, in something else. So, so, but then when you move up to to book five, you've got this 15 year old kid who's pissed at everybody, who just watched his godfather die, who just tried to torture a woman, who just found out who at the end has decided he doesn't want to be human. He's tired of living. Right. A- yeah. Yeah, but if you look at Dumbledore, you know, people said, oh, Dumbledore, you know, he he, he really changed over the books. Well, in, in book one, he's grandpa who can fix everything. Just like when you're 11, your parents can fix everything and they're infallible. And when you're 15, your parents yeah. are morons who don't know anything, you know, and then by the time <laughs> you're 21, your parents suddenly are smart again. I mean, so it depends the perspective you're reading it from. From this perspective, you know, Harry, and if we read, you know, Philosopher's Stone from the perspective of a 15-year-old. We'd be talking about these abusive people and Hogwarts wouldn't have been, you know, the very magical place it was because Harry would have enough going on. So it's 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 very important to look at where we're, where, where we're coming from. So I think, you know, looking at it now, now that I've got Deathly Hallows on my system and, you know, there were some things in it, you know, I was very surprised by the way Joe handled it. And looking, you know, seeing how Snape's character ends and seeing what Joe had in mind and seeing all this stuff. I'm now coming back to 
a year like none other. And I can see now why. Like I can understand. Like Dumble. Like Jen jokes that Dumbledore turned out to be the villain of the series, but um, I'm not joking. She no. She really did. She really. She thought. That <laughs> I truly he, believe that. She just joined the Michael again. I fan love club. Dumbledore. Really? Yeah, I want to karate yeah, kick well, until the very last. When I realized <laughs> that he was all out for his hollows. Yeah, he really is a selfish <laughs> bastard. Yeah. <laughs> no. The Michael Gambon fan club has new membership uh, opportunities. Yeah, there. his acting makes sense now. No. Um. <laughs> yeah, but it, I guess here's the thing: it makes sense now that we've seen the whole story. To now, you know, you're 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 not like bound to you know what Half Blood Prince said, and you're kind of, you're not anchored to something. Well, yeah, but when this story was ri- was being written, yeah, you know, Half Blood Prince wasn't out, and so this was a what this could have happened. Thick, sort of. Yeah, you know what I mean? I do. And I can really yeah. see now that what if it had gone another way? And what if Harry hadn't, you know, you know, given Dumbledore, the, you know, the, the symbolic hug in the tool shed and, you know, thought he was quirky <laughs> and learned from him all year and, you know, and, and, you know, given, you know, gone in this quest for him. What if after Deathly Hall, I'm sorry, what if after Order of the Phoenix, he, you know, trashed the guy's office and said, okay, you know, go to hell and left and said, I'm done with this man. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. It, so so that so now that I, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, and what if it's Snape? Yeah, and here's the thing: Harry is a very forgiving person. He really is. What, okay, it's if, his big greatest fault. And his greatest, you know, um, strength too. I guess if you think yeah, about yeah, that, and his ability true. to love. What if Draco Malfoy, you know, saved him from getting hit by a Subaru in the street? You know, would would Draco <laughs> Malfoy now be redeemable? Harry might give him a chance. Okay, like think about what happened in Half Blood Prince. Draco didn't murder his headmaster, so Harry, you know, gave him some slack. Like I don't murder people all the time. I mean, to Harry, not murdering the headmaster was a was a good day at the office. So he's a very forgiving person. So could he forgive, <laughs> yeah. you know, Snape? Snape? Maybe. And for Snape's uh, characterization here, I have a couple of. Well, before we get there, before we get there, I do want to say that I know that we discussed at the beginning of how uh, if we're going to get pulled into a fake, it needs to start at a some point that we're familiar with Mm -hmm. for us to be able to get into it. And I really feel that this story uh, captures the the beginning that we all sort of need to go from A to B and in that we have the trio. They're still good friends. And obviously, from the beginning, Hermione and Ron are all Harry has mm-hmm. at this point. Snape is a bastard. At the end of five, I don't know anybody who didn't totally hate him. Um, because I was one of those. I really at that point thought that, oh, wow, he, he really is bad. He's not good. And um, it was so funny. It took him actually murdering Dumbledore for me to go, hmm, maybe he's good. But <laughs> We are like the <laughs> most <laughs> twisted people. I you know. know but let me let me ask you: What was it in order that made you think he was he was bad? The um, actually, the occlumency lessons and uh, just you know, a mind bond. You can't get closer to someone except through you know a mind a mind bond or whatever. And I thought maybe we would see a relationship start to build there between the two. I mean, not a relationship, but maybe. A politeness, an understanding. An un- yeah, an understanding, and that never happened. And he was just totally awful. And and, and it uh, needed to happen. It just needed to. 
I know, I know, and I think at that point, especially, isn't doesn't Harry beg Snape to help him, and he doesn't, yeah. and and I was just like, you know, he Snape is one of those people he would rather have Sirius die than help the good, and at that point, I was convinced. Well, you were, I wasn't convinced, but at that point, that's when I started going, wow, Snape really could be a, a bad guy. <laughs> and, I was convinced until the end he was bad. Really? Oh no! I knew he was good. I knew he had to be good. Well, I never thought—I never thought that from order. I really thought that the scene when uh, Harry and everyone were captured by Umbridge and he yelled out to Snape that you know Padfoot's in trouble or whatever the line was, and Snape seemed to understand, and and the order did go. You know, I I got the sense that Snape was helping. He was an ass, but he was—he—he was like a really rude cop. You know, he's on the good side. You don't like him, but he's on the good. So, right, so I, I, ne- I, I never really thought that, but one thing that, and this is my, and like we talked about before, about you have to realign the characters and the chess pieces, and sometimes there's little gaps. I'm curious what you guys think. My, I remember the first time around, I thought that Snape was just, he was over the top, the evil, in the first yeah. couple chapters. Well, and he may be a little bit, yeah, I think. I think that's definitely something. You know what it was? I could never picture Canon Snape talking back to Albus Dumbledore, which... Well, I could never see Harry talking back to Severus like that, really. In front of, you know, when he's yelling at Dumbledore for... He said, I'd like to make a complaint against... You know? Yeah. That's not... I I saw Harry as one of those people who would just take it. Do you ever notice that the Harry Snape crowd always refers to him as Severus and everyone else just calls him Snape? It's like you're on a first name basis. I just find that amusing. (laughs) We have a personal relationship. What were you going to say, Kim? One of the things that I like about Year is that Harry started out as every 15-year-old seems to be, a self-assured, I know everything, you know nothing, I'm right, and I'm going to get what's coming to me, and you're going to provide it for me kind of kid. Like when he demanded the test, he thought he was in the right. He always did what he thought was right through all well, this. Well, what 15-year-old doesn't think they're not in the right? Exactly. And it did, It wasn't until he found a crutch to lean on later in the, in the yearbook that he started to lean. Because like most 15-year-olds, he didn't know he needed anyone to lean on. He was going through life as he needed to do it without anyone to lean on. Because so he I didn't have in the beginning, he showed as himself as an older, uh, more mature 15-year-old. And then when he starts to lean on Snape later in the book, he, he realizes how much he needed that. I think if, if he went through life as a canon Harry Potter, I think he'd have real issues later in life if he didn't <clears throat> step back and start to deal with them as he's doing in this fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, too. Everyone says that, you know, Canon Harry is of Order of the Phoenix would be in a mental institution with everything he's going through. Because the character himself doesn't deal with anything. He just takes it and takes it and takes it and hugs his friends and takes it and takes it. And breaks shiny, pretty things. Yes, which we never know what they do. Wouldn't it be awful if he needed one of those things to defeat Voldemort and and Dumbledore's like, Harry, don't throw! Oh, crap, you broke the silver one. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Do y'all want to talk about the story just a little bit? I know that these chapters, especially here, are are, are are not nearly as long as they become. Absolutely. Let's jump in. Sure. And I think that the in, in the beginning, I'd like to say that I think that she put a, lot, a little bit more plot into the beginning right away to capture the audience's attention. Right. I agree. 
do you do you did you get that? Because I feel like a lot happens and then it kind of slows down a little bit. And then, well, I think then she, she needed to put a face. lot of it. Yeah, I agree. She needed to put a lot of uh, exposition into the beginning because so much had come before and she needed yeah. to address it all before she could go ahead with where she wanted to take the story. I think she did it beautifully. Mm. But um but the story starts at lunchtime and uh, Harry gets a letter. And um, basically, I, I really liked the Harry attitude of, um, you know what? I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to put it off till later. Because to me, that also it defines any 15-year-old. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, also, agree. but especially Harry's character in dealing with the Dursleys. I liked that after the summer, he's finally come back. And at this point, he just doesn't want to deal with them. He doesn't want to have anything to do with them. And while he's at his... out of his mind for the winter. Right. He doesn't have to think about that. And I think that helps him stay sane. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Here they are showing up at Hogwarts in the form of a letter. And how how is he supposed to deal with that family? (laughs) That the two halves of his life coming together into one when one was so good for him and one was so bad. And you can at least see, you can see, like, the, the wheels in his brain turning when he's like, okay, how did the Dursleys mail me something? Because I thought, yeah. I would, there's no way they were supposed to be able to find me here. It's like, when <laughs> right. it's like when your cell phone goes off, how did you get this number? It's like the same, like, I was laughing at that one. You know, I just actually realized, too, Harry, for right. all of his perceptiveness in this fic, for, for, for you know, just strategizing 30 moves ahead, even <laughs> though he was kind of on his own at the Dursleys that summer, he didn't pick up on the fact that, you know, Petunia had leukemia. Yes, I, I noticed yeah. that. Yeah, he must not be too perceptive. You know what? It's got to be. You have to even like at that point. It's actually it, you can't even say it's like it, it's like a plot hole or something. How many got people do you know who are 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 sharp as attack and they can do brain surgery? But if you ask them where their car keys are, they're gonna like ruffle rustle through the house for like half an hour just made up of right and harry is yeah he puts these this family out of his mind because they are not his real life as he put it yeah mm-hmm. he has to get back to his real life at hogwarts so he doesn't even consider that his real life i guess he just didn't pay attention to what was going on around him because it wasn't real yeah or at least he didn't want well, it well that to is be. harry too he, he can defeat voldemort and you know fulfill ancient prophecies and conquer evil but if you ask him to dance with the girl he's going to wet himself in the middle of the great hall so that's actually exactly. somewhat consistent with the character that we know <laughs> mm-hmm. well I, I i really like aspen's use of making small references to canon in the fic like i know for one example i know that she has snape reference harry's remedial potions and like um, just her little thi- like she'll just stick it in there and you'll go hmm when yes. actually was that in uh, canon, the remedial potions? Where did that come into it? That was when Harry was doing his occlumency lessons, and they couldn't call it occlumency lessons. And so, so I believe they referred to it as Harry's remedial potions, because I think Draco makes fun of him about it. Yeah. Uh, Isn't that right? Okay. Yes, that's right. That comes, yeah. Okay, it's coming back to me now. Okay. And uh, and so she'll just stick it in there, and if you read over that se- that one little sentence, you'll miss the whole little thing she'll put in there. And uh, and I, I want to bring this up. I think, um, tell me if I'm wrong, but her use of um, apparition, this was the first time we actually get to see the side-along apparition. Uh, yeah, because it, yeah, it, it hadn't yeah. come out. No, it was, hadn't come out yet. You're right. It wasn't until the sixth book. 
And I remember just being fascinated by her her idea of it about how yeah, it and how much energy it took. On. Yeah, and how if you hold on to the person, it makes it not as moving. Right. Her attention to detail is phenomenal in every little thing. At least. What would you say? What What would you say makes her a different or better writer than most fanfics that you've read, or even most novels that you read? Well, when I see the like in the first chapter, she's having Hermione read a book or obsessing over a book for a day and a half. She gives the title of the book, Countering the Counter Curse, Reversing Reversals. And then she <laughs> then she goes on to ask Harry how he can mistake salamander eyes for seagrass. Her potions are named. The ingredients are listed and discussed. The uh, spells are named and the effect they have on the person or object being spelled is discussed. The energy it takes to cast the spell is discussed. The uh, the whole book is it makes the wizarding world seem so real. Yeah. Like you could step into it and understand yeah. it after reading this book. It well, really she is real so attention many- to detail. <laughs> She puts in those little wizarding phrases, and I just <laughs> die laughing each time because they're so similar to the muggle ones, only yes. with wizarding terms. Thank <laughs> Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. I do, too. We're just actually going to welcome Tina back to our podcast. Tina was great enough to uh, fit us in after some uh, dinner plans tonight, I think. So she's joining us, but we're still early on. So uh, glad to have you back with us, Tina. It's been like two days since you podcasted with us. So. Yeah, much too long. Yes, this much is true. Too long. You have to do it every day or else you'll lose the funny. <laughs> uh, Thank do, you. No <laughs> problems. Okay, well, we just had Harry having a letter, and he shoves it in his bag, and that was the end of chapter one. <laughs> They're very short chapters to start with, aren't they? Well, <laughs> I, like, you have to realize, I'm reading after the end when I read this the first time, and, and after the end, it's like you get, it's like if they mailed you the chapters, it would be like a ream of paper for every chapter, and then you read chapter one of this, and it's like four paragraphs. I'm like, okay. okay. I'm like turning the page over, trying to find it, so. <laughs> I like it. I, I really like that it's short, because to me, all she, the purpose of it is to set up the idea of what's going to start everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then it starts, um, and then it starts in the Gryffindor common room in Chapter 2, and they're, you know, playing, or they're, they want to play chess, but, of course, they actually sit down and do their potions homework instead. Her- Hermione puts fear of ever-living God into them. <laughs> I don't know what they do without her. Well, I like that she's still they in They have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They'd fail, but they'd have fun failing. <laughs> they're getting T minuses in all of their papers, so it's not like she's really having the freedom of improvement. Might as well display. Well, I know that Hermione is very much the mother hen in this fic, uh, or or tries to be and, until she's not later needed. But um, you know what I mean? Yes. Because obviously yes. we know this turns into a Snape adopts Harry. Um, but I like that at this point. Hermione has stepped up a little bit, um, just like she has in canon, and kind of makes them do what they need to get done and helps encourage them and helps them, obviously, with the homework. And But anyway, they go, um, it goes from there to, I'm trying to think, to potions class. And this is this is where we first get to kind of see Snape and Harry interact for the, around the first time. Uh, 
I know that they he, they interacted just in passing in, in, in the first chapter, but in this one, Snape really goes off on Harry, and he bra- This is I think when I read it the first time, it didn't bother me as much as it read as it did when I read later on, and I'm thinking about actually how awful this is that he's like stabbed himself in the finger with this quill. I never thought and quills were that dangerous. Everywhere. Too, it's, it, <laughs> like this is and like a dangerous. Can fix it and doesn't. Yeah, it's not like big right. pens. These kids have like knives they're writing with. This is like a very treacherous place. Well, they're eleven in potions, chopping potions ingredients. My twelve-year-old isn't allowed to chop things. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, he also, you know, did battle with a guy with, you know, like a snake growing out of the back of his head, and then the next year he killed the giant serpent, so, you know... Yeah, you know. yeah that big sword is nothing yeah. compared to this quill. And your yeah. kid's not allowed to If he can wield the sword of Gryffindor, then he can probably chop some potion ingredients. And he can use probably his quill can. to write with, yeah. Well, you know what, and this has nothing to do with the fic, but did you ever notice that they've never taken any sort of math class whatsoever? So, like... When I thought he, arithmetic was kind of like that. I I don't I don't yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Does does anyone know what that actually is? Well, Mac, uh, Mac, <laughs> oh. our guest oh, actually has a class <laughs> on arithmetic on the Perfect Weekly Forum. So that sign must up not for his be class. on my schedule. Yeah, you sign I up for his class. Use, teach you I that. think it is. I, I want to say, and gosh darn it, if this is from a fan. <laughs> But I think this, <laughs> shut up! But I think this comes. Hey, gosh from, darn uh, it! I'm... I put up with so much. Gosh darn it! People like me. <laughs> I'm telling you, people like me. <laughs> oh, I don't I'm, even remember. My I'm name. looking oh. it up. Oh. In but modern, they use, I believe numeral... that they use ancient ruins. Ruins and do math. <laughs> well, shut up! What? Dang it! Dang it! Dang it! Dang it's it! Too different. I can't talk. Runes, ancient runes to do math equations. Type. That seems very over the top. <laughs> one plus okay. one is two. Ancient runes. Let's see how the minds. Wait, do. because doesn't Hermione and and Deathly Hallows bring her runes translation to do arithmetic? Arith. Shoot, arithmetic. <laughs> Doesn't she? Doesn't she? Yes, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. Quit laughing. She's figuring it out. <laughs> she's doing her mining things. I don't pay much attention. I can't understand them. I know. Oh, well. well okay. no, and I, I feel awful thinking this, but when Harry got the test results from the hospital and it said you're a 93 percent, percent, you're in the 93 percentile, you need to be in the 85th. I, all I can picture is he's staring at these numbers saying 0.93. I don't understand because he's never <laughs> taken like a basic math course, so he has no. I, don't know. <laughs> I never thought about that. I assume that he learned decimals. I mean, I think kids learn that in like second grade now or whatever. That's I don't true. Know. I don't know. And the, anyway. the Dursleys did send him to school, so we do know. That. <laughs> we hope, yeah. But um, but Snape really is a terrible meanie to him in this chapter, and um, we actually see Draco. A little bit of Draco for the first time. Dun dun dun. Yeah. I have a question the for evil you guys. <laughs> Before we get to the evil side, I have a question for for Kim and, and for Jen because you guys are, are the pros here. This is one thing that 
you are. You're kind of like you know, like the Maytag repair people of of a year I like that. I always wanted to do something. It's just two people who like another. You were the high mugwumps or whatever I'm supposed to call you. Whatever Dumbledore was in the Wise. Well, Tina's read it too, mostly. Although, well, Tina's on her first read through. You, I'm on my first read. Okay. All right. All right. Here's my question for you. And if and because I'm a newbie here, and because people listening to me haven't finished the fic yet, or might be at the same point I'm at. You know, if I'm completely blowing a future plot point, you know, please. I'll let me, you know. Or find a no. way to let, <laughs> let me down easily and be, I don't know, great question. We are question. so wrong. Oh, my this God. We'll you find the answer to that later. This is what you do. You say, you know, <laughs> good question. You're very perceptive. While you're really thinking, <laughs> you flip an idiot, read chapter 12. It's all explained. All right. <laughs> Here's my question. Now, we're... We're asked to accept in the story is you know to get you know Canon Snape into a year like not another Snape. We're asked to believe that Snape ne- always thought Harry was this you know completely self-absorbed, egotistical coward, and he never understood who Harry was until he saw you know the Dursleys and saw Privet Drive and saw the cupboard and and and, and heard about the, you know the creature and he, he he you know this new this wealth of new information comes to Snape and as a result of that Snape you know finds within himself to do what he never did before and to treat Harry like a human being now my question is if Snape you know performs legilimency on his students to the extent that I feel he does you know, and if he's if he's gone into Harry's mind before, do you feel that is this like a is there some reason that Snape never realizes from the very beginning, or is it something where he had access to the information but he thought that you know Harry's memories were somehow misleading, or it just, it seemed like he should have known before that Harry you know underwent you know the Crucio and underwent you know you know this this abuse as a child. That was the one thing that I think. I, the, the, what I got from legilimency is that uh, you don't necessarily understand what's going on, but you can see thoughts and images. Um, you can see them kind of just in flashes, but you don't understand them because you're not reliving the situation. Right. Yeah. So I don't think there was any scenes of Harry's life that was like Vernon, like beating him into a pulp or, you know, things like that. And so I think obviously if there had been a scene like that, some light bulb would have gone off in his head, but as there wasn't. So Harry has to be thinking of the thing. Or, yeah, or I hadn't thought of that before, Ryan, you just mentioned it, but it could also be like with legitimacy that it's not that you have to know what information you're seeking. Okay. I I would just think, you know, if, if someone is, is performing legitimacy on somebody, then you, you just think of how long it would take to go through every thought, memory, whatever. That's it would be reliving that, a life, basically, wouldn't it? Yeah. Be? So I would, I, I've, I've always perceived it as, you know, that there, there's certain information they're looking for and that's what they get answered. Kind okay. of. Right. Part and of the spell. There's also Luna who goes through life with rose-colored glasses. I think... Snape goes through life where it concerns Harry with black colored glasses. Yeah, yeah. He has right. a big impression of who he thinks Harry is, and he will fit everything he sees into his idea of who Harry is 
instead of looking at it objectively. That's what right. I really felt going through this, and I felt like there was like like a glaring, you know, red alert sign on that because. And here's what here's what I thought, and here's how I kind of explained it to myself. M- my perception of Lechlemency is that you are basically, you know like a vacuum and you're sucking in information from your students. I think he goes through his students' minds and finds out that Neville is afraid of being called on. So he calls on Neville and he, he picks the question. Neville's afraid he'll ask and he asks it and he, and he, and he tools with the kids like that. Oh, really? I guess I never, I, thought I never he did, thought he put that much effort into t- his teaching. Well, because if you actually, well, he doesn't not into his teaching, but into his his torment. Well, his, his, well, his, well, his torment. I, yeah, I never. I guess I never saw him as 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 ex- that outwardly. No, I, there's actually, um, if you read the canon, there are a lot of. I can't think of a, a specific example, but there are references to like Snape's eyes boring into Harry, and all of a sudden he asks a question that embarrasses Harry, and you get the sense that he's actually. Or there's a point where Harry even says it's like he was reading his mind, you know, back in philosophy for stone so i always got yeah. that sense now okay you, yeah now you have harry who's coming out of uh you know the dursleys and he's at hogwarts for the first time and so forth and he, he's encountering these brave wonderful people and then he gets to snape my perception <laughs> my perception going through this was that snape would instantly remind him of vernon and vernon would yeah. be on his mind and snape would read the thoughts from vernon off his mind so that was why i was a little confused on that although yeah that's very possible that he's not looking for that particular memory or like him just said that he's ignoring it he doesn't want to think of harry anything other than you know the snot-nosed son of james potter who's just like his dad so i'm willing to accept that i'm interested with aspen um has to say about that but even if it's a case where you know it it, it may not all fit um i can you know close my eyes for a couple minutes because i think it's worth it to get from a to c without b being very sturdy because it's it's it, it, it's really a great concept. Well, it's so. never mentioned totally that he's legitimizing him when he bores into him. Like, I, I, I want to say that that at least the Snape that she creates is a Snape who has standards at the very least. And although yeah. he's cruel and mean, and he doesn't think much of Harry, I don't. The Snape in this story is not somebody who I would think would would basically rape someone's mind like that i i don't oh i didn't see that. this i didn't see this raping the person's mind i saw it as you know picking up on the stray thoughts to torment the person because he does he torments neville he torments yeah. harry during your well i just i never saw him really doing that in, in canon and so i guess i just didn't i mean purposely doing it with his legit i never really i i guess i just didn't see that i don't i don't know so i didn't think about it but it's a good point i mean we can it's definitely a point Definitely I would like to know her opinion on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm just a little curious about that because that, that, well, it, it here's the thing. It's, it's not only you know, it's either you know a potential plot hole, which it may not be, or it's you know a, a very you know. But it could be a joke potential plot hole too. But you no, know, it's it, not. That, it could be something that you think, mahaha, a plot hole. But when you think about it, it's actually more revealing about the characters. It could be the yeah. Snape had access and maybe this is something that comes in later but i'm guessing from your reactions it's not you know it may be something that you know snape could see this in harry's mind but never believed it and he never believed it because he just couldn't bring himself to accept that james potter's son you know may actually be you know a a good kid so there's that layer to it too i'm just kind of curious about it but guess we'll just have to wait and see (laughs) or maybe we'll never know Oh, well, no. A couple more weeks. Um, I'm doing math no. in my head right now to tell what chapter we'll be on. Carry on. All right, all right, all right. Um, well, okay, if we're getting back to the storyline, 
uh, Draco, we, we see that Draco notices um, the address on Harry's letter. And although we don't know what that means exactly, it can't be good. Right. <laughs> it's never usually it's a, a good sign. sign in this chapter. Yeah. There's so many little things that, that if you miss it, like Draco noticing the letter, that's that's a huge thing that comes up later. So um, I like that she introduces it. it I remember when when it was introduced here, I kind of thought, oh, what does he care about the address? And I know later on I was like, holy freaking crap. But <laughs> Well, I don't even... <laughs> this book is full of things like that. Just yeah. like the canon books, little hints back in chapter whatever show up in chapter gazillion and two just, <laughs> it's a really long story everybody it's true. It's very long. Well, the it's canon books took a lot of pages but it also shows like how good an author she is that she can uh i would say she's one of the few authors i know that actually goes full circle on almost every single plot point. And it's always in a way that I never saw it or expected it. Or it's in a way where some something I read something in passing and think, oh, that's just, you know, a, something she stuck in there. And we find out 40 chapters later that actually that's a huge plot point for this. And Yeah, and I saw that as a plot point, too, because the way it was written in, it wasn't dropped in like, you know, it was, it was carefully hidden if you reread it. It's like, you know, like the line from Order of the Phoenix when Petunia says that awful boy, you know, told me about Azkaban, you think it's James, and it's really Snape, and you're like, mwahaha. Yeah, you know, very, or the like, gleam in Dumbledore's eye. Yeah, this, yeah, exactly, something like that. Yeah. This was kind of like, you know, like, you know, Draco, you know, sees the address, and then he's waiting outside the door, and there's like red alerts on it, like, bad news, <laughs> this is not a good sign. So, you, you warning, know... Warning, warning, Yeah, exactly. Danger, Draco danger, danger. Robinson, danger. Yeah. So you knew that was coming back again. So I don't think there's anyone... Like, even I... Like, I haven't read ahead. I'm like, okay, we're going to be seeing Draco at some point, and we're going to be seeing someone at Private Drive who wasn't supposed to know where it was, so... Yeah, well, how stupid is Harry to take the darn thing out during an exam? Yeah, I know. Well, I don't even know why he... I think why he, he, he took it out when he was going for his replacement quill because he stabbed himself with his first... Oh, that's oh, right. Oh, that's he right. Says, oh, yeah, I have this letter. And so he puts it under his test, which as a teacher, I can very well see where Snape is coming from here. If you see something that is that doesn't fit under a test, my immediate <laughs> assumption was give me whatever that is. Although Snape, Snape knew instantly what it was. Snape knew what it was. Oh, well, he finds out it was a letter real quick. No, he says he knew that. He says later on, I knew what it was. And I did that well, to you on purpose. I keep aware of oh, what goes right. on in my yeah. classroom. Well, and, and we have to remember, I think that this is really good showing of Snape the spy. That although he, he does big, dark secrets, he also notices the small things about his own students <laughs> that sometimes I think we forget about. Yeah, Especially he does, but he's got game. a big blind spot where Harry's concerned. Well, yeah, definitely at this point, definitely. Well, and, yeah. and what was it? He knew it was a letter, but he didn't know the context, because he seemed genuinely surprised when he opened it. And that, well, how would he possibly know the context? Well, that's true. Maybe he, well, maybe he read Harry's mind and knew that Harry didn't open it, so. Or I think, don't, doesn't they make a reference that, that Snape saw Harry get the letter at lunch? And yes. knew that he had read yes. it. Yes, it's so, Friday now. You read this Tuesday, and 
Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I like those references, too. I like the fact that we know what day of the week it is, and we know they have schedules, and they ha- they're eating lunch, but they have double potions. Usually when you're in the Great Hall, yeah. it's, you know, a weekend, or it's, you know, the end of the day or something, and it's, like, midday, and they're in the middle of their schedules and all that stuff. So I, I, I did... I did like just the, those layers there, so I thought that was kind of cool. You know what it was, too? I read these chapters a few months ago, so I knew what was coming, and I read them again for the podcast. I said to myself, okay, we're going to read this from Snape's perspective now. I like how I'm referring <laughs> to myself in the third person there. I no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so let's see what Snape says. I'm like, okay, Snape, you've just read... Snape, I said, you've just read the letter where, where you find it, the Harry's beloved aunt, you know, kind Aunt Petunia, you know giver of gift certificates to local Simon's malls to, you know, the needy and, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. It loves small puppies, you know, loves orphans. You know, my God, it's all about the orphans. She is just the Mother Teresa of people. Yes, obviously. exactly. You know, Toonie, as people call her, you know. Who Toonie. Her, uh, <laughs> is dying of leukemia. <laughs> and all she wants is beloved Harry, you know, Harold's a few, but, you know, little Harry, who she bounced in her knee, you know. Harold Jr. Yes, Harold Jr. She wants him to come to her bedside to sing the song that he always would sing to her when he was younger before he became a spoiled brat with a a nose piece. (laughs) And before he burned her house to the ground and then kicked her. Yeah, and became the the awful kid that he is today. She just wants him to, to, to come back and just say goodbye because she's dying of cancer. And Harry's like, oh, I didn't even read the damn letter. I don't even know what the hell's going yeah. on. <laughs> like, so like, I think I, he does come across as a little spooled bastard. Yeah, like I could, well, I, here's the thing. Assuming that Snape literally has no clue, I could see like, like well, it almost seemed like an episode of like Everyone Loves Raymond at this point because it's like the classic, <laughs> like, you know, you think, you know, like your mother's coming for dinner and the other person thinks you're pregnant. It's one of those things. But like, it, I could really see like the anger from you didn't read the letter? No, I don't know what that says. You didn't go to the headmaster? Well, I didn't think it was warm. Your aunt is sick? <laughs> I didn't know. What? Yeah, <laughs> She's well, dying? Nobody no tells issues. me this. You know, like, well, well, she doesn't like me, and he's, like, well, grabbing point, Harry by the Nate ear. Snape just thinks that Harry is just a moron. Well, yeah. I guess he's a typical 15-year-old. <laughs> After he just stabs himself with his pen and needs immediate <laughs> medical attention. <laughs> he really does come across pretty stupid. And so oh, got- you know, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I want to bring it up real quick, that this is actually... Actually, a year like none other is the first part of a trilogy. I feel that's really? important, and that this is this is told in Harry's point of view, and the second, which she, it, she's already on chapter twenty, is uh, in Draco's point of view. The summer, the second one, and then the third one will, will be back. I think in in Harry's, I hope. Um, and that'll be the last year. The, yeah, it'll be the seventh year. This do is we sixth a, year. Do we have a title yet? Does summer have some chapters a, in I Harry's th- point of view? I think she said on her live group, it's a Brothers in Arms. So oh, it's a year like none other, a summer like none other, and Brothers in Arms. I'm assuming she, she didn't want to go for the year after the year like none other. <laughs> that would seem to be like the TV show no, that hung around one season two. A-Y-A-L-A-F-T-E. Yeah, no. <laughs> it just not. Jen took ancient runes. Runes, the runes. <laughs> I love it's her accent if she's saying just something completely well you're like the um for anyone who's ever watched uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine there's this <laughs> yes I take a shot everybody there's this character who there, there's these aliens who talk about like your life energy and your soul and they call it your pa it's your P-A-G-H it's your pa it's and, your pa 
and in one of the episodes, like pie? no, it's pa, like 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 you're calling your father, like pa. That's how we say pa, yeah, like pie. But yeah, but mm-hmm. what pie. happened was the people who did the closed captioning for the hearing impaired uh, would continually <laughs> call it. They typed it out as power. So they, so everyone, like the deaf people who were fans of Star Trek, thought she was like a like like a Southern Belle named Blanche or something. She's like, "Your pa, your pa is strong," and everyone thought she was saying power, and it was it was funny. And I was making a crack about Jen's <laughs> accent, where I don't know if she's saying. Well, to me, you have y'all have accents, so y'all you know, have, okay. Well, that joke died, so I'm gonna shut up now and please. Continue no, it was just interesting. But um, but <laughs> it's a joke. Hey, that was interesting. It was. It was. Well, I, I anyway, it was an interesting story. I found that um, So Snape takes the letter, and along with twenty points from Gryffindor, and begins to That's... read. And he says, I think one, one word. And yes, stops. and then he just stops. And that goes to the third chapter. Yeah, and uh. And Harry is is too amazed that that he stopped reading to be angry at this point that he read even one word. I just really like Harry's thought process. Like he's so like, what's going on? Like the world paused for a minute. What's going on here? Yeah, and right. uh, it's furious. I think too, it's a little was bit of shock that Snape didn't continue to read it aloud. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. I was shocked. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, the letter must be serious. Yes. And then Severus, sorry, Snape asks Harry. (laughs) I'm sorry, he likes you to call him Sev. (laughs) I told you we have a bond. No. (laughs) Oh, not back to the bullet doll again. Jen, for those of you who are new, has an Alan Rickman blow-up doll that... She sleeps on her. It sleeps Dennis on her left rolling. side, and her uh-huh. husband James Not sleeps on her right side. And during the night, she does spoon to the left. I just have to. Oh yeah. If only that were true. Side. <laughs> no. Um. Easiest he, person to shop for in the world. He'd have to have one of those strings in the back that I could pull, and like it could be his voice talking to me. Jen <laughs> would never <laughs> leave the house. Ever. I'm not going to ask what he should say. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Idiot children or something. I'd be I'd be happy with that. No, um, no, um, okay. Well, Harry has to stay after class, and uh, we find out you know Snape is like angry and pissed that Harry hasn't read this letter. And I know that I was shocked. Like, oh, Harry, ca- Snape cares about this. I would think that Snape would like be like, "Yay, you're dying," or um, <laughs> but he's not. But I can also understand Snape's point of view here. Like, he's risking his life. Who else is risking their life so that Harry can survive? And, like, suddenly Harry and his stupidity is going to get his own protection gone, you know. Right. Let me ask you something. What if it was Neville? What if it was another student who had a letter that Snape took from, you know, their backpack and read it? And Neville found out that, you know, his uncle was dying of cancer. Would Snape have been, you know, as... Like you can make an argument, he was he showed compassion to Harry. He didn't read it to the class. Like here's the question: Did he not read it to the class because no one could know because it would put Harry's life in danger and the war effort in danger, or did do you think he stopped reading it because you know? Okay, I may you know be a a jackass to these kids, but you know you don't mock the fact that you know mom's dying, or maybe he would. I don't. I think both. I think it was the first. 
I think he knew that Draco no, or it was in there and that <laughs> Draco at this point is bad. No, but what if Draco, what if it had nothing to do with the war effort? What if it was just, you know, a student in his class? What if it was the, one of the Hufflepuff Ravenclaw classrooms and one of the Hufflepuffs? I know? think, I think this, I think Snape is not, he's a bastard, but it's always for self. He wants to hurt people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well. if it's an outside force, like, family member dying or I don't think he'd find any enjoyment out of that. Well, he did in the death of Sirius, but he, Yeah, well, see, but I see him though. Yeah. That's the thing. He Sirius isn't Sirius isn't an innocent, you know, bystander either. I don't know if we have a case Staples of grudges. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't think the Longbottoms having a big issue like if Gran had died, I don't think Snape would be like your grandmother died, ha ha, 20 points. You know, I don't think... From Gryffindor for not having, you know, the good sense <laughs> of dying. Having a not sickly grandmother, yeah. Yeah, so I don't see him being that... that well, no, it is. We can't... I can't think of... There's no real... Mwahaha moment, because I can't point to Sirius, because Sirius, he had, a, he had, you know... Sirius was terrible to him. No, but the guy died. I mean... He, well... Yeah, but he does hold a grudge. I mean, I want yeah, to. Yeah, he's not grudge. hurting Sirius any by tormenting Harry about it. He's hurting Harry. Yeah, Sirius right. is dead. He doesn't care what Snape says about him. Well, he hates. So that for Snape to bring it up, you know, I, I can perfectly see him doing well, that I, to another student. I really want to point out that the Snape in this story is not without faults. He he has a great many faults and. This is part of his growing process too. Snape here Definitely. makes assumptions of people. He 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 has terrible misconceptions. He's a harsh, awful man at this point. But I think that he's, you know, up for a, a change in a couple of chapters. Well, yeah, and, and and we do get the you know the comment that I mean this is where I'm coming from as someone who's on chapter eleven now. Okay, so Snape, you know, for a lot of the story, is putting on an act for the Slytherins because he needs to, you know, really come down hard on these guys, on the Gryffindors and on Harry and on, you know, the children of the Order members because it's all part of his cover. Okay, I don't think that Snape is a nice guy who is playing the bad guy role. I think Snape honestly is, you know... A, is a twisted person who really, really throws himself into the role even more so around the Gryffindors. I think he's a jackass to everybody except his Slytherins, but with the Gryffindors, he's, you know, he, he, he goes in that much extra. I think that if it was, you know, not, if it was a love letter or if it, if it I, I, no, that's not even a good example. If it was Neville, I think he would have read the letter aloud. I, if it was Harry, I think he would have humiliated him unless it was something that, you know, affected the war effort. Because we see later, you know, he almost obliviates Hermione because she has the same information that was in, you know, essentially more or less in that letter. So I'm going to go on record. I'm curious with everyone, and I'm curious with Aspen and, and, and our listeners think. I'm going to go on record as saying that the only reason he stopped was because Harry and, and Perfect Drive and, and the Blood Bond. It had nothing to do with him feeling compassion because, you know. Well, no, no, no. I think, honestly, I think Harry is, I mean, Snape is a bastard. And I think when he realizes how huge his misconception of Harry was, I think he really does a turnaround and realizes, well, you know what? I may have horrible misconceptions about other things too and I think he really starts to evaluate himself and I think he changes yeah but that's not here no 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 that's yeah, not here yeah. yeah maybe he will maybe he won't but right here in that moment I if think if it was the, another student yeah 
I think he would have yeah. read it aloud and embarrassed them. Because and- I think I read it for some reason during my read-through as Snape was showing compassion for Harry. And as I'm thinking that he wasn't. He was showing strategy and he was showing uh, He's a strategist. The- You're partly right, but from coming Yay. from the perspective of having read the whole story, Snape is not as much of a bastard as he is in the canon books. He's got a sense of honor in this story that he doesn't have in the books. He's uh, he's an honorable man, except, I guess, where the Gryffindors are concerned. And when he saw the letter, he he must have felt some compassion that a student... He sees Harry, I think, at that point as a student, a kid with a dying aunt rather than as Harry, at least in that moment. That's yeah. my opinion. Okay, I mean, we obviously, you know, some of us have read it, some of us haven't, so we're not going to spoil it for people who haven't, but I, in, in maybe, you know, this will be, you know, like the like the theme of a chapter coming down the road, I have no idea, but well, even let's talk about, you know, Snape and, and, and his valor. I mean, you could make an argument. We've, we're having a great discussion on the forum, uh, the Perfect Weekly Forum, is Snape a hero after reading Deathly Hallows? And many of us are convinced he absolutely is, and many of us are convinced he absolutely is not. And we're having a really good debate on it. I mean, could you make the argument that, that Canon Snape has a sense of honor? I, th- I think you could. Um, what? What? Yeah. Snape is honorable. Yeah, I, some people. Well, some people think he's well in terms of honor. I didn't read between the lines. Then obviously, yeah, <laughs> I don't. No, I mean, there's people who wonder if he. I love that. It's like everyone in the room just like you know threw tomatoes at me. Um, no. <laughs> no, I mean, does does he have a sense of honor? I I certainly think he does. I mean, other people think that he does what he does for other reasons. He does it basically out of you know, uh, his, his his latent love for Lily, and he wouldn't give two dams about Harry if he didn't feel he was doing it all for Lily. None of it for Harry, all of it for Lily. And you can make arguments about why he does what he does. Was he heroic? Was he a jackass who happened to do a good thing at the same time? And, and there's some debate over it. And there's some debate whether, you know, the, the good that he did outweighs outweighs all the, the harm that he caused. And... I think he, I personally believe that Snape in, in canon was a hero in the end, based on what we know and based on based on what he did. I don't know, and, and I'm just gonna say this as a guy who's read eleven chapters and as a guy who has a feeling for canon Snape up until you know book five. I'm gonna say that he. I'm gonna stick by my guns and say that he did not have compassion for Harry at this point until I read differently from Aspen. So. Well, I can see how you can feel that way, but I think at that moment when he was in the hospital wing and Harry was pretending to be asleep and Dumbledore asked him to go back to uh, Voldemort to spy, and the moment he agreed to do that, I think he showed how honorable he was. Yeah. And that his priority was getting that madman out of the way of the wizarding world and he did more than anybody toward making that happen i think well one thing we don't know from a year like none other up until tonight's chapters and 
it's something we didn't know until the end of Deathly Hallows. We didn't know why. Why is Snape want to work for Dumbledore and not for Voldemort? Does he believe that Voldemort has a flawed strategy? Does he feel that Voldemort will fail in the end to be on the right side now? We find out he does it, you know, out of a sense of loyalty to someone who's passed. We don't know why Snape may be for the, working for the Order in this book, at least yet. So that's something I, I was thinking as I read this. I'm like, why right, is, he, why, why right. is he doing this? What's his... What is his inner motivation? And, and I didn't feel like I knew that. So that was one Well, I think I was... it is also an intrigue to keep reading. I mean, I know that maybe it was put there so that you would, so that you know that that's something that needs to be worked out. Yeah. Exactly. So you'll eventually yeah, see it. So, so I think. And I think I, it is worked out beautifully. It, later. I, yeah, it is, definitely. It, but it's hard from your viewpoint to see that yet. Well, no, but, thing, it, but it, it will. Yeah, it, it does go there. So. And it's like what I was saying before. You know, the way you judge it now is how well do the, does this Harry and this Snape gel with Harry and Snape from the previous five books, especially from the last book. And if, you know, Snape all of a sudden grows, you know, uh, you know a sense of, of you know, you know, compassion, you know, from this book that he didn't seem to have in the last one, it's going to seem weird without a catalyst for, you know, what made him suddenly do this. And if, you know, Aspen decided she didn't like Canon Snape and she really wanted her Snape to have, you know, this attribute, that's fine. And, you know, rip the Band-Aid, give it to him all of a sudden right at the beginning, and then we can move on from there. I just I just don't know yet. I, as a new reader, don't have enough info yet, so I'm, I'm intrigued. Well, I, ha- I have to be the first person to say that I don't think Aspen does anything as rip the Band-Aid, here it is. Yeah. Right, I, I agree. That's just well, what I mean by that, and let me, just, let me just explain what I mean by that. But what I mean is, okay, if we've decided that this Harry is going to seem a little bit younger than the Harry we just left start him off that way if it's not something you're going to show you know for re- if if that's the decision if you know what i mean to some you know fix like we just had in the seventh horcrux we had harry lovesick for Ginny right from the beginning of the story whereas at the end of the last book he had just gotten rid of her well because melinda wanted to write a romance story so she had to get you know snape and in, 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 i'm sorry oh god <laughs> <sighs> Snape, Ginny, the ship that never dies. Um, he had to get <laughs> Harry into that mindset. So all of a sudden, you you put down Deathly, you put down Half Blood Prince, and it's Harry, you know, wanting Ginny to you know go away. He has to focus on this. Be safe, be safe, be safe. Open page one, Seventh Horcrux. Ginny, I miss you. The feeling of my hands through your hair. It's it's what? So that's what <laughs> yes. I mean by rip the bandit. Which is it's it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's something you do to to tell a good story. But yeah. Well, the next we see is uh, in Dumbledore's office. Mm-hmm. Snape has dragged him there, and this is the. I want to read this these little this little excerpt here. To me, this story is from Harry's point of view, and so I want it to be emphasized that what we see of these characters is not necessarily what their character is about, but what Harry sees them at at that point. Good point. Does that make sense? That does. Yes, yes. it does. It yes. does. I'm going to read this real quick. Dumbledore says. Another cup of tea, Harry, and uh, since Harry had yet to so much as touch his first cup, he stared at the headmaster rather incredulously. Sherbert Lemon, then? No, he sighed, tired of the old man's games. What did he think, that Harry was still a child to mollify with sweets? Um, and to me, that really defined how Harry felt towards Dumbledore after Order of the Phoenix. And yeah, that kind of sets I, the yeah. stage for Dumbledore at this point, I think. There, there has been something broken there, something severed between the two of them that uh, isn't going to mend anytime soon. Well, it comes down to trust, too. Harry, Dumbledore never trusted 
Harry with the infra- well here's the thing I mean you can make an argument that in canon Dumbledore loved Harry too much and he knew that and this is obviously incorporating Deathly Hallows but if he knew that you know if Harry was going to die you know potentially you know at the end of seven years if he was a horcrux then you know go outside and play have a good life don't worry about all this nasty stuff you know for as long as you don't have to so you can make the argument that Dumbledore loved Harry too much Although you can make an argument too that Dumbledore didn't trust Harry with the information if he tells. Or was the power hungry bastard? No, uh, no, he's not gambling. <laughs> he's not gambling. No, 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 no. Like I can define the difference between Dumbledore and, and, and whoever the hell that is that Michael Gambon plays in the movies. But um, <laughs> you know, I'm being partly sarcastic. To be I funny. do, Jen. I do. well. Jen but only me, partly. Jen <laughs> sent, for those of you who don't know, Jen sent me like hate mail after Deathly Hallows came out. Just wrote oh, to the world no. in general. Just wrote I wrote it. Joe a nasty gram too. I didn't like that Hedwig died, Jen. Then she's like, <laughs> I wish they ate them. Also, Jen. Yeah, hate mail. <laughs> so, yeah, it's confusing. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the question. I mean... As we saw in Deathly Hallows, Dumbledore didn't tell Harry anything because he thought he's like the parent that thinks, you know, the kid should buy his own car, the kid should put himself through school, the kid should get his own summer job up with hair in his chest. But he takes it a little bit too far and says, you know, the kindergartner needs to walk himself to school and, you know, the, the three-year-old needs to probably train himself. You know, he needs to, and at some point you're like, you know, give the kid a break, give him a hand, you know, he, 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 he's got a tough life. So you can make the argument that Dumbledore is like one step behind the curb or curve even not even the curb he's behind the curb but he's also behind the curb so um i just had this image in my mind of dumbledore trying to hail a cab i'm sorry um oh i do want to say if y'all have any excerpts or anything that you want to read or a line that really touched you or one that you didn't understand and you're like what was that feel free to bump in and just say it okay guys yeah, or if you have okay. fan art of Dumbledore trying to hail a cab with, like, the fez. Do you know, side. she has oh, a whole lot of, of fan art. You okay, have fan yeah. art of Dumbledore trying to hail a cab? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought you did. We're a very diverse nice. fandom. We have Dobby, Whomping Willow fix. Well, Ron evidently oh, learned yeah. to drive a car, so. Which she drove into a telephone pole moments Whatever. after the story ended. Oh, I have, I have a question about this chapter. Okay. We're, we learn, uh, I'm trying to think how to get there. We learned that Harry has to go to Surrey, and they didn't order a member to take him and protect him. And um, it's assumed, I guess, between Dumbledore and Severus already, that Severus is going to be the one to take Harry, but he's going to be polyjuiced. My question is, why was that automatically assumed? Why? I was there, too. Did anybody wonder that? So your question is, why was it automatically assumed that there would be... Well, it was like Harry felt... Harry was out of the loop, obviously, and we are out of the loop because Harry's out of the loop. But why why is it assumed that Severus is the order member that's going to go with him to Surrey, apologies to someone else? And why not Molly or Minerva or... Yeah, why not about- anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> So he assumes right after your question is where did Harry get the information from that it was Snape who was going with him and not anyone else? Well, no, we no, know where he got that. Dumbledore and Snape seem to already have it decided that yeah, they Snape would be decided. the one to go. But, but they, they don't do know say why. I don't. I'm not sure if it's in the first eleven chapters though. Well, I mean, I mean said- obviously we know why it is, but there's no pretext to. Um them actually having this conversation or 
them knowing that Harry needed to go to Surrey or do you know what I mean? Why is there wasn't any time when Snape and Dumbledore were alone together before Harry went in before this decision was made? I guess there wasn't. I don't believe yeah, no, Harry, I thought they arrived together. No, just no, hold on. It starts us mid scene though. It starts us with Dumbledore trying to offer Harry the tea, is that right? Right. We don't, so you could have had the thing where, you know, Snape drags him up the stairs by his ear and, like, throws him into, like, you know, the entryway and says, you wait here, boy, or whatever, and goes into Dumbledore's office, slams the door shut. You know, they, they talk for a few minutes, and then Dumbledore invites Harry in and offers him some tea. There, that's what happened. I'll the, fix. See, I'm fixing. Th- I'm a fixer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Well, ask Aspen. Aspen, what happened there, please? And Aspen, what, if it's how- exactly what I said it was, you, you know, then Hufflepuff will get 10 Hufflepuff points. Hufflepuff will get 10 additional Yay! points, bringing my my nightly total <laughs> to 20. Well, that's great. Yes. Gryffindor's losing them 20 at a time, and Hufflepuff's gaining them. There you go. I thought you meant yeah. Gryffindor on our forums. I'm like, you took 20 points from Gryffindor. I'm going to go back there. The place is going to be on fire. Um, well, I thought it was really important for us to see the scene at the end where Harry's leaving, and he, see, he hears that just little sentence conversation about Severus telling Dumbledore that he's a spoiled, selfish Gryffindor brat who can't see beyond the end of his nose. Like, we know for sure at this point that Severus still thinks that Harry is exactly that. Right. Yeah. And nothing more. Let me ask you about this, because I'm curious, guys. Um, Reading, here's the thing. As I was reading this, obviously Deathly Hallows hadn't come out yet. And I was one of those guys that, you know, all who refers to, like, you know, the Richard Harris Dumbledore as the Dumbledore from the books. He's the grandfatherly guy who seems to be 12 steps ahead of everything in life. And then you have Michael Gambon, who karate kicks Harry into a trophy case. And this Dumbledore read to me initially as somewhat feeble. And, like, it's to the point now where Snape is is is, is questioning him in front of a student and he, he, he seems, you know, confused, and he doesn't really, he's not saying the right things like he did before. And that's also a sign of, you know... Th- their broken relationship. Yeah, it's a sign of their broken relationship, yeah. and it's a sign of Harry getting older. And so I, I think what I saw initially is bad characterization, I now see is actually... Um, Good character. Well, no, I... I, 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 I <laughs> Here's the thing. You ever read a fan fiction at four in the morning? After book seven, it all becomes clear. After book seven, yeah. It's like, I think it's the equivalent of me reading two different fics at once and my mind instantly turning into into some type of squash, you know, like substance. And now I'm reading it again. I'm like, okay, now I'm with you. So I'm just curious. Apparently, we were just ahead of the game. Yes. I'm still behind you, Ryan, because I haven't gotten there yet. You haven't gone to oh you haven't gone to the point yet. Uh, yeah, I just I um I was reading this thinking this isn't it almost didn't seem like Dumbledore to me like I don't know. But it's just, Dumbledore's from Harry's point of view still. We have to remember this. Well, That's it's true. all well it's and always him. From it. He's really angry at Dumbledore, Pat, even annoy you know ignoringly so. Like there could be stuff here that we're missing, but just because Harry doesn't notice it, we don't notice okay, it. Okay, here's the thing though, Harry. Dumbledore and Harry are having a fight, but it's still the same Snape, and it's still the same Dumbledore. Snape, in my mind, would not question Dumbledore to his face and counter 
man him to his face and be disrespectful to his face. You almost get like a more you like you know Hagrid has his you know like never insult Albus Dumbledore in front of anything, and you always you know Snape always calls him the headmaster. Snape always shows him like we were saying before you know that sense of honor. He always shows Dumbledore respect. Yeah, it it does seem like he's not doing yeah. that. Like, that's the, maybe that's the part that, you know, I can understand Harry, you know, and Dumbledore having the thing, but it seemed like, and what I, in my take on it is, is that because Harry is, I'm sorry, because Snape and Harry are going to this really distant place in this fic together, you need to start them off, you know, Snape has to be, like, a bad bastard, and Harry has to be, you know, twice as, it's like you have to really show the extremes of the characters, so that the the change is more pronounced, so maybe Snape is so foaming from the mouth, he's screaming at Dumbledore, and then later on, you know, he's, you know, singing his ukulele, and all that, Yeah, it almost was, um... They're more on equal footing. It, well, it, actually, I was just thinking it seemed like she was setting more setting Snape up to be the dominant decision maker, whereas Dumbledore is kind of uh, not really uh, doesn't seem as sure, and Snape is the one who's making the decisions. And because our podcast tonight isn't big enough, we'd like to welcome Lady Chi back to Potterfic Weekly. Hey, Chi. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. We have like seven people behind you who want to come on here too, so we'll keep going with the show. Uh, Tina, you were in the middle of a sentence. I think, if I remember, what I was saying was I thought it might be the way she was portraying Dumbledore here was a way to set Snape up as the more dominant mm-hmm. decision maker. Yeah. Or, or not even dominant, maybe the um, kind of like the alternative. It's kind of like Dumbledore has fallen, so Snape kind of fills... Or just that he was capable that, of doing yeah. it. Yeah. Like, he needed to show that he st- he has his own opinions and he's not just Dumbledore's lapdog. Oh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I, I don't think anybody would ever would ever have called Snape Dumbledore's lapdog. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just not he how I would. Severus, I need you to kill me tomorrow at 5 p.m. Just Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm just trying to figure out where we are. I think, I think this is this is now where we we first see Snape polyjuiced as Lupin, and I thought that Aspen really captured well Harry's emotional angst of confusion towards that because he trusts Remus, he does not trust Snape. He, you know, he really likes Remus, he hates Snape. It's and th- there's this little excerpt. I have another excerpt, Anna. I'd like to read it and just, this is to me that defined that really well. She just really writes that, those small emotional angsty things so well because she doesn't just go, Harry feels angsty about blah, 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 and moves on. She, <laughs> she allows us, she, she builds it in such a way that she allows us to feel it as Harry's feeling. Yeah, and she tells, yeah. it's like she paints with words and it's, it's insane how good she so is. Deep. Well, thank you very she much. She paints with words. But she does, in a way, I that feel. That makes it. up for the entire Vicodin episode right there. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm touched. Thank you. I have you. to tell you just really quickly, because we have a Jen and Chi here, uh, Rob, <laughs> Spellcast Rob, 
His, yeah. His uh, his away message right now is big toe plus staff infection equals no fun, lots of pain. Need to get some of Potterfic Weekly's painkillers. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> well, it's not. We're like the, the CVS of the fan fiction world. For uh, Tina and Kim, I had an appende- appendectomy, and uh, and that's why. And and Kim and Kim, sorry, Kim, <laughs> and she had her wisdom teeth out. Yes, I did. So we have gone through fun surgeries while oh. podcasting. She loves you all very much. She just wants you to know that. She loves everybody right now. <laughs> that was, so sweet. That was yes. the best moment, I think. My cousin listened to that. My, my cousins uh, listened to podcasts when they were here. And uh, my cousin Patrick looks over at me and he shook his head. And he's like, he goes, you don't even normally need pain medication to say that kind of stuff. <laughs> You're the lunatics have taken over the asylum. Oh well, real quickly, I wanted to read this little excerpt because <laughs> I think it just it shows so well her her writing use. Okay, Let the here woman we go. Read. Go ahead, go ahead. Thank you. Not Remus, he said to himself, hating the feeling that he was going to have to repeat it quite a lot. This is not Remus. At that moment, Snape said something to the headmaster, something quiet that Harry didn't even catch, but it came out in Remus's voice. Polyjuice potion would do that, of course. Harry knew it would. Hadn't he and Ron sounded exactly like Crabbe and Goyle as they'd questioned Malfoy about the air of Slytherin? Harry forgot all about that, though, in the rush of happiness that drenched him just hearing that voice again. Remus, he asked aloud, thinking that, sure, it was possible. Remus had come through the flu to give Snape some hair, hadn't he? Maybe he'd stuck around a bit. Maybe Snape was still down in the dungeons fetching the Polyjuice potion. No, Snape quickly returned. He's already departed. I was like, oh, that's so sad, because he so desperately wants him to be there. Well, that made me sad reading it, because Remus just died in the book, and it's like, no, oh. he has departed. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> Every time we see Hedwig, I'm just, you know, I, I lose it. But yeah. I, yeah. you know, I, I want to say that I, I completely agree with Jen here. I love this part, this Harry that Aspen writes, several versions of Harry, I think. She takes him through a really um, kind of varying journey here in this story, in this fic, but what I really like that I think that she does extremely well is um, what I would call lost little boy Harry, which is the, you know, the Harry that, you know, is looking for paternal figures, is looking for rental figures, and, you know, he hopes despite himself. He doesn't really expect anything, but he's always hoping for things. And I think that, you know, this little scene where he's earnestly wishing it was Ramus and, you know, it's Snape, I think I I almost, I was like, oh, I, I about cried. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, I think, so. I think the scene is important in establishing Harry and Ramus's relationship in this story as well. Like, Ramus is a character without actually being there. Does that, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so... He's, a, he's more of a plot device. He kind of moves... Yeah. I think he moves, especially in the first part of the fic, not trying to give anything away, but his purpose is more to move the relationship between Snape and Harry along than to actually exist as a character. Well, he's I think in... Yeah, no, I totally agree, but I think that in canon, that... It's, it's well, kind of Ron and Hermione. It's <laughs> Ron and Hermione, the trio... And uh-huh. then Remus is the last parental figure besides the Weasleys. And right. so if you're, if you're trying to write a Snape and Harry fic, obviously you have to do something with these characters to not right. let them 
be around. You know who he is? He's kind of, he's almost like a lubricant in this. Like when I was a when I was younger. What? I, what? <sighs> Why am I suddenly like turning a, into Jen in this podcast? This and I'm the one. New, yeah, this is this is actually going to be the the title of the show. Snape. Nate I mean, no, Remus. Remus. Lupin. Remus is a lubricant. Oh, and Jen gets oh, to do God that because this is Jen's episode. All right. I, I, about, I, hey, Jen. Jen, how about something better? Lupin the lubricant. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Okay. All right. There after I've done that to Jen enough, she gets to do it to me. All right. When I was a kid, I couldn't swallow pills. Like, I I couldn't swallow pills. I had a fear of swallowing Whatever. I couldn't swallow pills. So you'd mm-hmm. break the pills up into into ice cream. And, and, you know, my mother would feed me the ice cream. And I'd be, ah, ice cream. And I'd have no idea I'm taking my mess. <laughs> now... All right, now, in the first six, seven chapters of this fic, we have to make Harry Potter care for Severus Snape on some level, which is basically like trying to, you know, dig a hole in your backyard and dig deep enough that you hit China. And it's... It, it, yeah. So you need all the help you can get. So how do you ease it along? You make you make Snape look like Remus Lupin. Someone by, we trust. Yes, someone he trusts. So at times, Harry lets himself go. You were perfectly right. It's not, you know, said specifically over and over and over again. Like, there's there's whole stretches of the fic. I forget that he isn't... Like, I'm picturing in my mind, I'm picturing Alan Rickman at a table in a tacky kitchen with Dan Radcliffe. And, and then there's, <laughs> like, 12 paragraphs later, there's a mention of the fact that, you know, Re- it looked weird hearing that from Remus's, you know, mouth. And, oh, okay, he's right. So I flip back, and it's the guy with the little Hitler mustache again. And, you know, <laughs> like, that's... So I, I, I kept flipping back and forth. So that was helpful that, like, I kept forgetting who was in the room. So that makes sense that just the complete other way, Harry keeps forgetting... Harry forgets, you know, I'm picturing Snape, I'm picturing Alan Rickman, I'm picturing Snape, Harry's picturing Remus, he's doing the opposite of what I'm doing, and that that was a great way to show and not tell exactly what's happening, and I think that really helped, I think the fact that it's it's in a different voice, and it's someone who just, he looks stupid when he tries to do angry, because it just doesn't work well for Remus's body, I think that really helped me buy into the fact that Harry is thinking differently about Severus Snape. That that was very helpful. Yeah. I think this is one of the, um, actually one of the better things that she does in terms of making the story believable. I, I know um, there are still some things in it that I have issues with, but this particular manipulation, I think, is, is a good way to get the audience to go along with um, something that would not be otherwise easily to swallow. So, you have two very guarded characters in a situation here where they cannot be guarded with each other. And that's an interesting situation to put Snape and Harry in, I think. We get the letter from Remus that Snape callously throws in the fire. (laughs) And (laughs) I really thought, I was like, oh, like my heart broke, even though it was just a letter. I know. Um, But they, they flew to Arabella's house. Which I thought was interesting. I didn't exactly understand why they flew to Arabella's house. Where were they going to flew? Yeah. Well, I assumed, I suppose, that Snape also had to do order watch at Privet Drive, or that it was popular enough that at one time everybody had managed to go by, maybe, and that I didn't ever realize that Snape might not... I don't know. I know. I just can't I, imagine can't Snape ever either. taking watch. 
I know, I know. It's just weird for me. I don't know why. Maybe it's just I don't really. Was that the reason that, that Saved didn't know where Perfect Drive was? Was that the problem, or was it just that the, that um, Arabella's house was on the Flu Network? Maybe, but they can't operate out of Hogwarts, obviously. Right. So they have to flu somewhere, and I guess that they, I guess the Dursleys still had their their thing boarded up at this point. <laughs> Is that what y'all assume? I just picture it wasn't on the flu network for their safety, or just yeah. That I just right, just yeah. because they wouldn't have allowed it. Plus, for well, all they know, Vernon's in the living room, and that's probably not the best way to get his support by fluing into the uh, fireplace because they had no idea right. that the that the Dursleys wouldn't be there, right? Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. Well, they they go to the they go they operate over there and then they walk over the Dursleys and Harry goes up to change clothes and he comes back down. <laughs> just it was and, a wonderful chapter. Um, well, no, they've been mid thought. Just stops. well, no, but this is really important. Yeah, this well, is perceptive, a, Harry. Well, I was hoping someone yes. else would 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 get in because I I feel that this is an important important. This is a really important plot twist. Not plot twist. It's something that this is the beginning of Severus's transformation. Sev. 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 So this is so this is really important to the story that that there is a big issue with the clothes here. Right. He stops. Where is this? Which chapter was that in? This is chapter five, Remus. Okay, that's where I am. I remember he stopped dead. In the middle of whatever he was talking about, and looked at Harry like he was completely shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He must have looked really bad, like worse than Daniel Radcliffe does in the movies, because his clothes seem to fit nicely. Well, you're not going to yeah. pay the kid, like you know. Let's not let's not talk about I'll there. Yeah, let's not talk about how bad Harry is in the movies, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, well, that's, I, I I think he, like you look at them and like you know like. He's practically like one step below GQ in the movies, and he's supposed to be wearing the same again. Yeah, I mean, well, this is the point where this is this is like I call um, I think I'm gonna start calling it Slytherin Harry. This is very perceptive Harry who he, yeah. he knows and he has to convince Snape, and like he looks three steps ahead. Like I love as we go into the future into these chapters, you know, Snape commenting that because Harry brought the flowers, he knew that would provoke an argument that he knew he would publicly lose which would buff up, you know, Vernon's ego and make Vernon more, you know, likely to uh, to consider, you know, letting, you know, Dudley, you know, extend the blood protection in the event that Petunia dies. Right. It's like well, 17, have- it's like 17, it's like a 17, you know, step, you know, problem that Harry formulates in his head. And you see it here. Harry knows I need to do X or else he's going to throw me out of the, of the hospital room. And that that's very perceptive of Harry, and it's something that Snape never considers, and he never considers that well, he might be wrong. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I I just never really saw this as a Slytherin moment. I I felt that like with the clothes issue, with the phone issue, with the pizza issue, with all these things, Harry is at such the end of his tether at this point, and after all that happened in five. And he does not want to deal with any of this right now. But he knows that he has to save his life. And because of that, he is he's having to think a little outside the box. I don't necessarily see it as Slytherin. I just see it as he's having to, to, he's having to deal with issues that never came up before. And he can't avoid them anymore. 
he has to deal with them. And I know that there's a lot of issues with Snape that he just goes, like he just doesn't have the energy to even fight with him about it. Whatever. I'm just going to let that one slide. I don't want to talk about it. You know, so I don't, I never, I guess I'm very used to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 interrupt. (laughs) He's very used to dealing with the Dursleys and what they expect of him. And he's very used to hiding his good clothes because he knows what will happen if the Dursleys find out he has money. Right. So he would, knowing he was going to be talking to the Dursleys, he would, well, then why wouldn't he change clothes back at Hogwarts? Maybe he Because he wasn't sure they wouldn't be home. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I don't know. If he changed just because he knew that he was going to be running into Vernon, he should have changed back at Hogwarts. Oh, it's the it's the explanation that keeps on giving because he read the script. Ah, (laughs) there you go. I like how Snape came up, or how she portrayed Snape at at this moment. I liked the dark energy bit. Yeah. That being... Though I thought it was, I know at the time I thought that's a kind of vague way of of not explaining what they could have explained. Well, the excerpt is so strong. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, please do. Snape says the blackness is strongest here. He pointed at the cupboard and inside the room where you were changing. Snape's eyes grew rounder as his mind caught on a single thought as he really looked at Harry. Merlin, what could possess you to change into that? What were you trying to prove? That showed Snape completely stop and refocus everything as he looked at Harry and saw what he was wearing. Yeah. And then as he realized why he was wearing it, it had to have been one of those epiphanies. Things start to make, yeah, things start to make sense here. Right. Yes. You can see the the house with all the pictures, nothing of Harry. You Everything know, just, starts to come together. This kind of strike. This kind of struck me as odd because I, you know, the first time I'm so used to knowing what goes on with the Dursleys, and I know we talked about this when we did Melinda's pick, but um, we're so used to knowing what goes on at the Dursleys that we forget Harry doesn't let most of the people around him know what goes yeah. on with the Dursleys. So this is always right. it's always nice when I think when authors pick up on that and then give us situations where. You know, people around him are forced to realize what Harry has to deal with on a regular basis. And I think, you know, there's some there's some really good um, Snape moments here. But I also think there's some really good um, Harry moments where, you know, I'm not going to agree with Harry, with Ryan necessarily because that would be, just be too too much. You can't always agree yeah, with you Ryan. Yeah, don't, don't overextend yourself. Take <laughs> <laughs> um, that effort. But, you know... There are there there was a reason why the Sorting Hat wanted to put Harry in Slytherin, and that's because at certain times Harry can be, you know, he can be um, ambitious and know and, and think ahead, and, and you know, I think the, the characterization of Harry, where he's the dumb he's the dumb lucky hero, is is quite the opposite of what is actually true. He's very he's a very perceptive boy for being fifteen or sixteen at this point. Well, so. one thing we we talked about yeah. this a little bit earlier. Um, I don't remember if Tina was here yet, but one thing I said is there's certain scenes where Harry is has you know the perceptiveness of a lamp 
but then moments later he he he's you know like in the, like we talk about in this particular fic you know he he misses the fact that the woman he's living in the house with has leukemia but he you know catches up on the fact that you know snape is showing common courtesy which means that you know everything he's been showing in his potions class has been an act and not a sign of you know his stunted social growth. So it's like he's picking up on like these, he's kind of like George Costanza, you know, picking up the, he can squint and see the quarter across the room, but he can't tell, you know, the big thing right next. It's it's, it's, it's same basic principle. I, I really liked how, how quick we get to see Snape figure things out. And you almost see an immediate, not difference in his personality, but almost sort of an acceptance that it's like we see him realize that he, that he was wrong, although he hasn't totally worked through his issues yet. Like, yeah, but it's, at that moment, he knows he has to, and he starts working toward that. Right. And it's not just suddenly like he gives Harry a hug and says, I'm so sorry I had a similar life, or yeah. there's none of that fake. It's just, but we do see him realize here this, you know what? I was really wrong, and he's not super kind to Harry, but he's not openly cruel either at this point. And, and thank God that she did that because I think one of the, one of the most difficult things or one of the easiest things she probably could have done. And one of the things that would have turned me off the most is if it was too easy, you can't turn Severus Snape into, into a likable character by telling him that, you know, Harry's, you know, used to live in a closet. Like he, it's not going to work like that. It has to be very long, very drawn out, very, you know, detailed, you, you know, process. It's not something which is which is simple. And I, I really give Aspen credit for for showing that very very slowly over you know a long period of time because you have to do that. Snape is you know essentially the quasi villain of the of the series for the first few books, at least in Harry's mind. So you really have to really have to show that. And like, let me give you an example. For the moment that I realized, you know, that Snape wasn't you know this socially stunted person and did understand common niceties and was just an ass. I had that more. Ha ha. I did not see that <laughs> coming. You know, I, I, I felt like I've learned something here and kind of at the same time, you know, is, is Harry is explaining to Snape about the clothes and he, and he learns about the cupboard and why there's locks in the doors and he meets Vernon. Is he also having that more? Ha ha kid may not be James moment. So it's, I like her style of writing because you kind of learn with the characters. So as I'm having, you know, realization A, they're having epiphany B, and it's we're thinking different things, but it's the same basic principle. In this scene too, there's the first instance of now remembering Snape appears to be as Lupin is, and it's Harry's first instance of almost opening up to him before he remembers it's it's not Remus, and. To me, that was just like a setup for how it's going to be while Snape is under the polyjuice, that Harry's going to have these moments where he has to think about who he's talking to. Not Remus, not Remus, not Remus. The fact that exactly. he sounded like Remus, yeah. Yeah. Um, chapter 6, I think, is primarily concerned with getting Snape and Harry to the hospital and um, and 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 all of their observations and things. And, and this is kind of very much a full of uh, an exposition chapter, which is always kind of interesting in that the, there's 
you know, exposition chapters where you have to give a lot of information in a short amount of time, um, they can go one of two ways. They can be really um, interesting and they can be full of good details, or they can be, um, or they can be kind of boring. And I think Aspen does a really nice job here as far as just style is concerned um, for the whole chapter. And that was my first comment as far as chapter six goes. One thing I want to say, which we haven't commented on yet, is, okay, we get to the hospital and, you know, we have the great character moments of, you know, Harry wondering how he's going to break it to the potions master that he forgot to take his potion, and Snape trying to deal with oncoming traffic for the first time in his life, I thought was a great little bit. And, okay, we get to the hospital room and we have, you know, Petunia, not like, not like, like my father had leukemia. So like this actually, when I was reading this for the first time, it was around the anniversary of his passing. So it was an emotional experience for me even to read it. And she really got it right. I mean, it's, you look like the person in the bed doesn't look like the person that you know from, you know, home. It's, it's, it's a very altering experience in your life. And I think she really uh, put some effort into getting that feeling right. It felt like a hospital room where someone had leukemia. It felt very, genuine and when you look at it from a plot perspective you have harry you know losing you know the 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 blood protection he's losing his mother's sister who he's never cared for and who has never cared for him but it's something that you know essentially harry is the last best hope and this is you know some he's losing his protection so it becomes you know i'm doing this for you know the safety of my people kind of things and you know when harry goes in there from a plot perspective, I really appreciated the, the the idea that if if Petunia dies, the blood protection can extend to Dudley, because Petunia and Dudley share blood, and and Lily and and, and Petunia share blood, and and Lily and Harry share blood, so it's all the same type of protection. I never considered ever that even before reading this fic that Dudley could perhaps somehow play a role in the blood protection. So I just really want to single that out too for being something that made me go, huh. Because that's what, to me, fan fiction is about. I felt the same way. Yeah, you read 50 fics, you know, you're going to forget half of them, you're going to forget which happened and what, they're all going to blend together, but you'll never forget, you know, an original, huh, never thought of that idea, and that was one of those for me. Yeah, it was for me, too. I really like that. There's no question that she saw many things I didn't see in the books and took them to places I never thought of. It's what made this story so incredible. These authors are shifty. <laughs> They They're shifty. I don't. They know things that we don't know. They shouldn't know that. Like, come on, Melinda. You know, Deathly Hallows. Come on. <laughs> I think it's just because uh, authors we think a little bit differently than than um, somebody who just reads. I think that's. I think maybe that has something to do with it. Like, Jen, you know, you noticed when we were having our big exchange with a year like none other, and you were reading my stuff. Do you remember yeah. this? You made that one comment that I was noticing things that you would have never noticed in um, a year like none other, and that we were noticing different things in the chapters. And I think that's just because, you know, A, we're two different people, and B, you know, when you when you write fan fiction and when you beta read, um, you know, you just look for different things. We're always yeah. looking for the hidden story as well as the over once, so that's my opinion. Jen is usually <laughs> looking for the smut, but sometimes not so much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much if there's like a little bit of romance, I'm like zeroed in on it. <laughs> Jen's like a magnet and comes flying up nowhere like she was Akio and just sticks to the side of it. So I have to say that th- this scene was really touching for me too, and not mostly because 
we get to experience what Harry is feeling. And I like that. I really particularly liked when the tears came to his eyes. And and she explains that it's not tears because his family member is dying. It's tears of shame that he didn't care enough to even read the letter. And that a family member is dying here and he can't feel anything. Yeah, he, he feels, feels shame because he can't. Shame. Yeah. Right, yeah. because he can't feel really sad even though he does feel sad. Yeah, because we don't care about Petunia. We care about what Petunia does to Harry and means to Harry. He's, he's the one that we care about. This is the chapter where Snape started really uh, surprising me. Uh, the the money that he gives Harry to buy the flowers. <laughs> he gives him, like, $500. <laughs> and then, like, keeps it. Like, where do they get the money, the muggle money? It's like I Back mean, to the Future. They have a briefcase. Yeah. Ridiculous. Like... <laughs> I mean, one gallon apparently is $1,000 or something. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was really There's amazing. a missing moment, Snape haggling with the goblins. <laughs> I but thought Dumbledore it, gave it to him, didn't he? I thought that was in uh, here. Yeah, Dumbledore did. Yes, he did. I just think it's really great that although Snape is a spy and although Snape is desperately trying to show that he is not reacting to muggle things. We are seeing him react to muggle things. And it's it's right. he does it in his own quirky way and it's amusing. I just like the door like, opening. The door, the elevator, yeah. Or, here's the thing, he's a spy, but he sucks as a spy. Like how is this yeah. man still alive that you know he, I'm going undercover and then he walks into like, you know, the enemy he, he's undercover as a muggle for the day. And, you know, like, like the door at the supermarket opens and he, like, takes out his gun and shoots it. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, like, okay, good job. And then he, like, buys a stick of gum and, get, and like, you know, hands over the deed to his house for it. It's like, um, you're attracting unwanted attention. I think, I think I was a little amused that Snape obliviated the nurse and yet left the signature that Harry wrote. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, thought, I thought everybody to take that up. Oh, I was like, I, I was missed it completely. I laughed I mean, at that. But, but you know, she can't write every little detail. I mean, there's yeah. there's got to be a few things that we, we that we can laugh. There was a, a twist bit. of his wand that turns into like Larry Bother or something. Uh, well, I have to say that I really like the uh, the handkerchief part. Yeah. But and I thought it was and I know this is sick, but I thought it was so well, funny that Snape that Snape would accept the handkerchief back, but not the money. Oh, I did too. It was so gross. <laughs> 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 in that thing. <laughs> I know I had a good laugh over that, but I find that kind of thing humorous. Yeah, keep the three hundred dollars, <laughs> but I, I do need the snot back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And and Snape's uh, attitude towards the the doctor's charts was very amusing to me as well. Oh yeah, doctors can't write. The, you know the the little snip there. Um, and then at the end, Dudley wakes up, and he's really he's not as fat. <laughs> I mean, so uh, I thought that was funny. I think. I think the first thing that I would say about this chapter overall is her her wonderful use of Britishisms, even though she's not British. Well, there were quite a few things in the hospital that were different from an American hospital. The starch white uniform cap that the nurses wear. What do y'all? One of the questions that I wanted to ask: So Snape adapt, adapting to Muggle things 
is he a good spy? <laughs> what do y'all think? Well, I think he almost shot the door, so that was probably a bad <laughs> sign. <laughs> oh, for I me, it almost made him a little bit more human. Yeah. Yes, it exactly. Did, yeah, but nobody else but Harry noticed yeah, that he, he was having Yeah, issues. he apparates out of the elevator with the cameras in it. Well, yeah, yeah, there was a mistake. Which is like it's like it's like a classic <laughs> Star Trek episode. You have to go back and get the tapes before you know. The- but he didn't know right. about videotapes at this point, does he? Well, that's no. what makes him a bad spy. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> exactly. Well, I love a lot the moment to too, where he's though. like, "Is there? A- you know, what does he say?" Um, it's the point where he's looking over um, the leukemia books, and he, you know, Harry asks him, "Can you fake?" You know, can, can we put glamour on my aunt, and can we, you know, can you can you fake the instruments so that it looks like she's getting better? And he, and he pauses and thinks, well, I wouldn't know what they would need to look like. And I'm like, well, look it up, you moron. And then right after I think right. that, he's like, I could do some research, I guess. I'm like, okay, there you go. Call Hermione. She knows how to get that done. <laughs> right. He's a potions master. I'm sure he's done research before in his life. In moving this along a little bit, I'm going to just state a few things that happen in this chapter, and then we can talk about it, and then we'll just move on, yeah? Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in this chapter, Vernon wakes up, and we find out that the Dursleys really didn't tell Harry about Petunia's illness, um, and Harry lies to Vernon to make himself seem like a bad kid so that it'll appease Vernon. Um, he does accidental magic and breaks the vase, which I thought was interesting, even though he's not a child child. Um Dudley leaves to go get chocolate. Snape legitimizes Vernon. Vernon asks Harry to cure Petunia. Snape's... Okay, this is where it gets really good, I thought. Harry passes out in shock, and Snape <laughs> holds him up. That's kind of what happens in this chapter. Okay. I didn't, get the sense he had, I, didn't get, I didn't get the sense he passed out at the end. I just got the sense that he was, it was very emotionally taxing. But I didn't get the sense that Favorite he almost like, fainted well, maybe not. I mean, in shock, I think he did get weak in the knees there. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, definitely that much. So, But I, I really liked that Snape holds him up. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the progression of Snape through this scene, is that he sees Harry is, is more... Uh, he's reassessing Harry, and he sees what Harry's going through. And, and he does begin to show, I think, genuine compassion for Harry. And that's the question. You know, does he, having seen Privet Drive, get to that point where he? Here's the here here's I guess what I can 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 rationalize from this. It's you know we're talking about how everything is from the perceptive of of the owner. You know, Harry is at eleven. You know, recognizes Dumbledore as Grandpa. Harry at fifteen recognizes him as that stupid old man. Snape recognizes himself as someone who knows almost everything. So when he is shown shown physical proof that he was wrong about Harry. He himself is almost trying to make amends for that, and he is showing Harry compassion. Because I don't think it's because he's like a good person to everybody and got it wrong about this one kid. He's a jackass to everybody. So why is he showing Harry comparison here? I think he's making amends personally to himself for what he, how he just badly misread this kid. But- I don't see Harry realizing it yet, though. Oh, I definitely don't either. I'm, know. Looking, I'm looking at this from... I'm trying to, to to answer the question, did did Aspen write a believable Snape? And I think she did, because I can make sense of that by the fact that he's doing two things. He's trying to make amends for his previous actions. And he also can can understand what that feels like, because he was from a home like the, Ver- like the Dursleys, like the Vernons. Yeah. 
like he, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like the Vern, like the Vernons, like he, 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 he understands that. So I can, I can understand the fact that Snape would, would, you know, still be an ass to Neville, but still be kind to Harry here because he, he knows that Harry's, and Harry's acting very Slytherin-like in his eyes as well. Well, there's, there's, is this one excerpt that I want to read real quick that I think totally defines Harry towards Snape at this point. It says, uh, but I don't, Harry quietly pointed out, rising to his feet. Some part of him was aware that Snape was getting up too, but that only made the sensation of being threatened even worse. A bit stupid, really. He knew Snape was there to protect him. He knew that Snape had saved his life way back in first year. Trouble was, Snape had never acted like he was glad he'd saved Harry at all. In fact, Harry suspected he deeply regretted it. Or would, if not for the prophecy. Yeah, that awful prophecy did make Harry sort of necessary to the wizarding world. But it still didn't mean Snape was happy Harry hadn't fallen to his death. I mean... Uh, you're right, that does define exactly <laughs> what Harry is. Uh, Harry still is behind Snape's changes. doesn't see them yet. Right. That Snape is changing toward him. But I like that because it's vague enough that we suspect something's going on, but we're kind of with Harry in that we don't totally think Snape is good. Yeah, he's not good yet, but he is. There's something going on. (laughs) Which is which is really important to me. I I don't want him to be, you know, Harry. I was wrong about you. I found (laughs) the closet. I found. Come give me a hug. Come to Uncle Snape, like if, like like that. Thank you, like that, like that would have been. I know, I'm doing puking singing. That would have been not helpful. So I, I really like the fact that we, st- and like in 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 it gets even to the point, you know, as the chapters progress, when we even get back to Hogwarts, where I found myself wondering, you know, is is, is Harry like I'm thinking, okay, Harry is this emotionally screwed up kid who, you know, has the first potential father figure he's ever going to have, you know, in his life, is he, you know, reading too far into it? It's like kind of like what I said before. He, he, he thinks Draco is redeemable because he doesn't commit murder. Like, that's a good thing. Like, you know, yeah. well, you didn't kill anyone today, so you must be all right in my book. Like, it's, it's like, <laughs> like his standards are a little, you know, low here. That, you know, Snape is in class, you know, just being an absolute ass to Harry, and Harry's, like, rationalizing it. Mm-hmm. And he's being an absolute, you know, well, he didn't obliviate Hermione, so, you know, he must be, like, and it's like, you know, Snape is still, like, even though Snape is, is is more human to him, and even though Snape, he shared something with Snape, he's still being, you know, 75% of, of, of the ass he was before, and, and and Harry's, like, rationalizing that, so I found myself reading it wondering, you know, okay, what, do Ron and Hermione have a point here? Is Harry being too yeah. forgiving to say? And, and that's good. I should be thinking that. I yes. should, because reading it, I'm thinking, well, you, like, because you're in both of their perspectives. You're like, well, you know, Ron and Hermione, you don't get it. You know, we, we just had this wonderful experience that you know nothing about. He, he, he ordered me pizza, you know, and he took my shoes off when I was thrashing about the bed. Like, come on, come on. But when you think about it, you know, he's also being an ass to Neville, and he's, you know, threatening students, and he's being very, you know, he's threatening Harry's friends and he's still doing these awful things. Is Harry kind of like the kid who makes excuses for his father who hits him? And I really, I I really, really appreciated that because I, I don't like to know who the good guys are when I read. I like to be able to 
read it's like in the beginning. I like being able to read the, the, the dungeon scene with the leather from Harry's perspective and then read it from Snape's perspective and understand why he's screaming. Like I, I just wanna single that out. Well I agree yeah. here. That's the way I like it too, to be kept to where the characters are, to not know more than the characters know as you're going along. Yeah. I don't want to know that later on Snape is I don't know. Daddy Snape. He never really I don't know, maybe a little well, bit. He never you... really becomes gooey ooey Snape. No, he never that and that would be an out of character, I feel. It but definitely would. I I, I, I totally agree, and I think I, I think that's what's so horrible about summaries sometimes, because you have to kind of give away what the story is. And I know that a lot of people don't give this type of story a chance because they see Snape adopts Harry, and there are so many fics out there where it's like they realize Harry is Snape's son or something, and they get a big hug, and then they're lottied off through the daisies, and you're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is Snape starts that? wearing color and pastels. and Yeah. Right. This is the guy I mean, who's tormented ridiculous. him for six years. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I totally agree. Um, well, I think this scene also shows Snape's growth in that, uh, and we also see that Snape is intelligent. In this, in this story, he's very intelligent. We see him as when the blinders are finally forced off him, off his face after seeing what he's seeing in this this whole day with Harry. He's intelligent enough to reprocess everything he's known and not uh, stick with his preconceptions. He yeah. he starts to stare at Harry a lot in the coming chapter or two and yeah. take yeah. a look at yeah. at what Harry really is. So he's not keeping those blinders on. He's starting to look at things and really look, reprocess, I guess. And that, I guess it's one of the things, too, for everyone who thinks that Snape is this closed-minded, one-dimensional character, they're not going to believe that because that's too much. But, but you can. If you can believe that Snape is more complicated than you maybe originally saw him to be, then that yeah. makes perfect sense. The one thing I did just want to bring issue with, and this is something um, those written in our forums, Okay, Snape understanding that Harry was locked in the cupboard. I'm with that. Snape understanding that you know he's been misreading Harry. That Harry's had abusive, you know, parental figures. Neglect and yeah, yeah. Like I'm with it. I'm with it. I can see it. I can see it. Snape not Snape being shocked that Voldemort crucioed Harry, and that his response being, "Oh, Merlin, you, like a 14 year old, so young." That doesn't. That didn't seem like it should have come from Snape's mouth because I think he would have, either he would have known that, or he would have been familiar with Voldemort to the extent that he would have been able to. That that wouldn't have shocked him, and also his response to to me, Snape's response wouldn't have been, "Oh, Merlin, you're so young. How off?" Snape's not, you know, Grandma who, you know, oh these kids well, are going through something. <laughs> like he, he, he yeah. Snape would be. I think Snape would be more pragmatic. You know, terrible things happen to people sometimes. I think he would. Yeah. Like, that that's that just yeah. seemed like maybe that was a little out of character. That, yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, it took and me out for a moment. I think I rem- I think I was thinking, why didn't Snape know about this before? Right. Like it, it felt like something that Dumbledore would have mentioned in passing. But I think it's important to Snape's growth also that we are seeing that Snape is seeing Harry as a student for the first time and not just a Potter. And maybe yes. for that second, 
he thought nobody that young should have to deal with that. And like, maybe it could have been worded a little differently or better for yeah. it to flow. But I liked the gist that it was there. Or Snape remembers the first time he was Crucio. You know, like the sounds yeah. ridiculous for yeah. me to even say it. But, you know, I remember my first Crucio. But, you know, he remembers the first <laughs> time he was Crucio. Maybe he was young, too. And maybe that and maybe or something, yeah. And maybe Aspen felt that she needed to remind us that for, being cruciate at 14 is extremely abnormal. And that's another form of abuse, I think, that he's realizing Harry's gone through. And maybe before, I think when, uh, I think, I, was, I can't remember if it was Kim or Tina, but they said that, that maybe Snape viewed the, the memories and the legilimens and he saw them in the way that he wanted to see them that maybe this is also showing that for the first time he's not seeing it as he wants to see it, but he's seeing things as they really are. And it's kind of a shocking to him as, as well. And maybe he's losing grasp of a few things because, you know, he's getting a new grasp of them. Yeah. So yeah. maybe, I don't know. Total change of perspective. Yeah. Just a thought. It was just a thought. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. I mean, it, it did take me out of the story and it, and it did, you know, make me wonder. And, and I think you can make, ex- you, you, well, not excuses, but you can make. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you, 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 you can explain the way or you can think of it differently. It was one of the cases where I felt that Snape's progression towards being a more human character was pushed too far. That was a little bit too close to come give Uncle Sev a hug. Like that was a little too. No. It was too far too fast. It was a little too naive yeah. for Snape to, to have, like, who he's probably seen Voldemort, you know, burn villages to be, to th- you know, it's kind of like being like, Hitler hates puppies? Yeah. Good God! Like, it's like, <laughs> 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 you know, that was how it felt to me, and I'm like, I couldn't help but giggle. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness, that's funny. And Snape yeah, there pizza. are cases here where I think that she has paced the trans the Snape transformation very well, and there are some cases here where I think she kind of gave in to her, you pushed know, along little yeah, pushing along to you know, she her happily ever after need was coming coming on, and she pushed it too far too fast, so. That that's this is one of the rare cases I think where she does that. And I'll give her a lot of credit here too. It's a, it's 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 like walking a tightrope because if you push too far, you have give Uncle Sev a hug, and if you push too slowly, it's like seventeen chapters of Harry and Snape yelling at each other with no real progression. So you have to figure out a good exchange between the two to get it done in a reasonable amount of time. You know, without it's hard. So. And it would be normal for a, a relationship development to go by waxing and wan, wax and wans. But it would be normal for there to be some moments of quick development and then some where they just don't seem to move very far. Yeah. And let's move this to the debate over what Harry does. And I really like, and here's the thing it's like, for example, I never thought of Dudley being you know, in any way related to the blood um, protection. I never even considered that. And I really like what she writes in about, you know, what magic is. And, you know, magic is something in in these stories that is something palpable within, within the magical people. It can be transferred through blood, which I thought was interesting. And I, I like how it is written in to describe you know, what happens with, with muggles and magic, you know, why don't DVD players work at Hogwarts, you know, magical, 
you know, ability and magic itself and technology do not work together. And what I, you know, okay, you get the story of Harry, you know, getting shots as a kid and, you know, compared to the Crucio, the Crucio is described as like hundreds of needles. It's, you know, a single needle terrifies Harry to the point where as a small child, he bends them away from him, (laughs) you know, as protective magic. And, you know, but think beyond that, you know, Hermione, when she finds out that Harry's going to have a bone marrow transplant, breaks down into tears because she almost died in hospitals as a, as a yeah, child yeah. because her magic, you know, just interacted so terribly. You know, you're imagining very small procedures or like having her teeth out or something and the, and the magic is going crazy. And Harry's going to have the most dangerous surgery you can have being an extremely powerful wizard. So I thought that was a great plot device to factor in that magic and technology are the antithesis of each other. I thought that was a really good point. It really is. Definitely. I liked, I'm trying to think of the things that I liked because in this beginning, I don't feel like we have enough information to say, I don't like this or, you know what I mean? Everything's just kind of introducing. Yeah. I mean, what you can do is what I do is I write, I'm writing in by my reaction as a first time reader. So when I set up and go, huh, that's a good, even if it's something that may not pay off later, it, 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 it's affecting me as a reader. So I'm, I'm looking for those right. moments. Well, it's hard for, I don't know if, if Kim is having the same problem or even Tina or, or, or Chi, I don't know how far she's read. I can't remember. Um, but in looking back here, there's not a lot to say, you know, this part right here is foreshadowing what's to come. Even we, we see, we're seeing right now the introduction slash progression of, of what it, what the story is moving to, but not necessarily going, you know, well, let me point this out because this was in chapter 53 and it, or, um, you know what I mean? Um, things that I really liked, I really liked the, the, the kitchen table scene between Harry and Snape where Harry finally just orders the pizza and they have their first real conversation. And uh, I know we're in chapter eight and this is the first conversation that we actually see them have. And I think that that says something here. It says something about the pacing Mm -hmm. and it it also shows us that she's not rushing things. You know, she may rush one or two points, but as a whole, this, you know, this is a good place to have this conversation and things are not, they're not totally fine, yeah, but it, they have an understanding now. Right. And it brings Harry's right. journey. Uh, it begins Harry's journey. We talked in the early chapters, how Harry is very, you know, Harry seems very childlike in the beginning. Snape seems very over the top. Dumbledore, Dumbledore seems very feeble. All the characters, you know, Ron's always hungry. Hermione's very bossy. Everyone's kind of, you know, on overdrive in the early chapters. Right. So now, so now we can kind of, you know, bring them down or bring them out or, you know, change them a little bit, which is, which is a good storytelling. So when you see Harry at this point, he starts off as this very, you know, very young kid, you know, who is immature, which is what Snape pegs him with. So Harry has decided I'm going to be a mature person. I'm not going to let these things get to me. I'm not going to, you know, let what he sees define who I am. And he makes that decision that he's like, for example, when he now knows that Snape knows about his childhood, he's not going to ask Snape not to share it because he's not going to ask for things he can't get. Yes. And he's not going to, that was a big moment. And he won't like Snape made the joke or Snape made the insinuation that he's bringing Harry to private drive to get down on his knees and beg his family. Harry's not going to beg Snape to, to, you know, to, to, to please not embarrass him because 
embarrassment doesn't marry matter the Harry anymore. You know, he was he was Crucio by Voldemort. You know, who cares if if the kids in class don't like me? And I love that Snape's response back. You know, when he said when he says, "I'm not going to ask for things I can't get." Snape makes a comment. You know, that's something else you picked up from this place, or something of that nature. Because you, know, you you never would have begged the Dursleys because the Dursleys wouldn't give it to you. So she has this really great ability to connect everything to Harry's past or to you know the way Harry deals with people. Everything is interconnected, and it really shows Harry as a as a real person with flaws and and, and scars rather than just. You know, a, a, a two-dimensional action hero. So I, I, mm-hmm. I, re- I, I enjoy reading it because it's like I'm learning about people. It's like real life. It is. This is I like a story on character around. study. Yeah. I, I think everybody kind of is – this is I, – I know when I wrote my review here um, of this chapter, I said everybody is kind of settling into themselves instead of – you know, at the beginning, I, I made a lot of comments that everybody was too extreme. And I think now everybody is just kind of, Snape and Harry especially, are kind of, it's like Aspen has taken a deep breath and realized that she doesn't have to, she's introduced the story, now she can tell the kind of story that she wants to tell, and she can tell it in her own time and her own way. And I think yeah, that, I got know, that. from this point on, the story gets better. Like, the first seven chapters, I think, were really hard for me to swallow, and then from this point on, it gets a lot better um, style-wise and pacing-wise. and But you kind of know where the story is going by this point. This kind of laid the yeah. road for the rest. Right, right. That kind of... I, I did think, though, I want to talk about when Snape and Harry um, kind of exchanged their I was an abused child stories with each other. I wasn't like... I don't know if it's just me, but I was not initially emotionally touched by that. I'm not really sure if I was supposed to be, like, if that was supposed to be profound. I thought but... it was underplayed. I mean, you have... I mean, I th- the only way it was really played was that Harry knows because of, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that he went to the pensive and Snape knows because he went to Privet Drive, and they both kind of invaded each other's turf. But there wasn't this, you know, moment when, you know, Harry walks over and says, you were abused as a child. And so it was, like, I thought it was under, I thought it was understated. Well, I think understated, I, I think Aspen, what she does so well is she captures reality so well. And I think in the circumstance where two abused kids are understanding that each other has been abused, it's not something that they're going to sit and either talk about or hug about or mm-hmm. even verbally acknowledge. And I, I like that it was underplayed because to me, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a oh my God moment, but it was yeah. definitely an emotional understanding you know, and it, but I think in a circumstance where you've got two kids or two people who have been abused, I don't think you need much more than the understanding that the other has gone through a similar thing. I don't think you have to share your feelings to talk about it because it's one of those things that you acknowledge in another person and you understand and you sympathize, but it sucks and there's nothing you can do about it. And. Yeah. There's no point in bringing it up and talking about it. And I liked that Especially she captured the realness. Yeah, I mean, they're not friends here. The Snape well, is not going to sit and chat. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to open his soul up to Harry, and Harry is still paranoid about him. I mean, that shows enough when he, when Snape goes up to tuck him in, and he's like, you're going to stay in my room? Heck no. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it was done well, like sprinkling each other's understanding of each other as they grow. Uh, I said yeah. that terribly. 
it's uh, the first time it, it seemed like story. Snape is trying to grow a little hairy in a pot. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's not it's not a quick understanding. They grow to learn about each other throughout the story, and it's piece by piece because they have way too much of a history to just spill it all out. And like was said, they can't. They really don't have that much to talk about. It's an understanding between each other. You were abused. I were. Ab- I was abused. Let's uh, acknowledge that and then talk mm-hmm. about what needs to be talked about. Yeah, and it helps us, the reader, because like I said, I've been saying the whole night, I need to feel like the progression of Snape is natural, knowing that that's in the background. And it's not you know played very often, but knowing in the background that I can mentally justify to myself the fact that these guys are moving together closely based on the fact they have that shared history, that helps. That's something that is right. just another thing that I helps. Think- I think my favorite part about this chapter is that for the first time, and it, and it happens at the end, we get to see Snape the adult rather than Snape. You know, usually when we see Snape, we see him acting so cruel or so vindictive that he comes across as a snotty, immature teenager. And yeah. what I liked about this scene, especially at the end, like I just, I lo- I have to admit it, I love the end scene where he sends him to his room and the Harry argues with him and then, you know, he goes anyway because he's got to protect him. And then he tucks him in and he casts the sleeping charm. And there's this actual little, my favorite line is where he goes, hey, Harry murmured sleepily, rolling onto his side, his hands hugging himself beneath the bedspread. You called me Harry. Um, I think when no one was around to hear it, somebody was around. Snape quietly replied, hush now, Harry, let yourself sleep. I just think at that point, Snape realized, you know what? Harry needs an adult figure, and I can be that person. And although it wasn't anything past that, at that point, Severus realized he could he could be the adult in the situation. And yeah, I liked that, that transformation. In that, in that moment, yeah. He hasn't and decided he yet to be Daddy Snape. Oh, God. no, no, no. Not, I don't even think it's crossed his mind at this point. But no, he can be the adult realized. He can act his age. Yeah, and you know what it is, too? It's like, picture the scene, too, when Harry gets into bed. There's, like, the comment that the scowl on his face is so deep and so, you know, exaggerated that the muscles are hurting. Like, picture a two-year-old who's trying to get to go to bed. And he's got his arms, no, I'm not going to bed. And he's got his poop face (laughs) on. And he's, like, laying in bed, and his nose is scrunched up, and he's not going to sleep. And then he just passes out because he's so exhausted. Like, and, and, you know, that's the, like, Harry is essentially, like, a two-year-old who doesn't want to go to bed because he's angry. And, like, all, you know, two-year-olds, they're angry at Daddy because he's not letting them stay up late. And, you know, you think you don't need that person, but you do, because the minute you fall asleep, you need someone to watch you and protect you and make sure, you know, you're, you, you don't roll over on your face and you need to make sure that, you, you know, you don't hurt yourself. And, like, it's, I'm really overextending the metaphor, but, you know, it's, it, that's how I read it, that Harry, you know, is, is, is proud. He's Harry. I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm not going to, you know, be bossed. I'm not going to let these people boss me around anymore. I'm going to stick up for myself. He needs people. And yeah, and Snape recognizes that. Yeah, and, and for the Snape, first time, right? And I love the fact in the morning when Harry wakes up and realizes his shoes are off. He thinks to himself, "No, no, 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 no! I t- they, they, I kicked them off in the night. I was so." Then he realizes. Did anybody else notice how OCD Snape is about his stuff? Oh, he like folded. He put the shoelaces <laughs> inside. That was very Martha Stewartish. I thought. <laughs> Yeah. 
Especially when we see um, Spinner's End, you know, like, with, like, excuse me, let me go vacuum, and, like, shuts the door on Bellatrix and, and you know, Narcissa, and comes back <laughs> with my ties for them. It's like... <laughs> yeah, um, he, yeah, he, he, like, whereas now, you know, he's like, in a minute, I'm dusty. Like, it, I don't know, I thought that was yeah. funny. But I, lo- I love Harry's first reaction, which is, don't touch me. Now, think about this. We're talking about, like, like literally child abuse here. Don't. Yeah. Or, or is it deeper than that? I don't think it is. I but, know yeah. at that point, I was like, oh, sexual abuse. Or yeah. I was just thinking something along or phys- those lines. Or physical abuse. Physical abuse. Yeah, but here's yeah. the thing. It's not to, you know, make any comment about Snape. But if you've been abused, don't put your hand on my shoulder. If you, like, don't touch me. And that, like, we, we've been talking all night, you know, you know, Show us, don't tell us. That's an example of her showing us in not, t- you know, just that line, don't touch me, makes me think abuse, makes me think, you know. I find it so amusing that he's talking about this. I don't know if the people who've read on are catching this uh, foreshadowing here, but. Uh, I'm foreshadowing? <laughs> I thought, I, I think what you're saying is actually really interesting. And I I'm feel sure like a lab rat. <laughs> <laughs> The, sub- mean, the subject is displaying superior mental capabilities. Drums and cheese. <laughs> drums and cheese. <laughs> yeah, that was. Well, I think everybody but you knows what I'm talking about when you when you were saying that just then. Well, don't tell. Me. But yeah, I mean that's that's the first that's the thing that jumped out at me reading it was that you yeah. know like there, there's little like triggers in here and they make sense. So I'm 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 very pleased with that and. You know, I, so Harry has so the you know the chapter progresses. Harry has to make the decision: does he save Petunia's life? And it's a pro con list. Does he, you know, risk his life, ris- you know, waste his mother's sacrifice, you know, destroy the war effort to save a woman who never showed him an ounce of respect? Yes, he will because he's Harry, and, and because he can help, and that's who he is, and he can't not do it. And I thought that was creative. The fact that you, you know. Magic doesn't mean anything in these books. It's about human characters. So if you're a human being, you know, and, you know, the Weasleys are, you know, great people because they love and because they give. And, you know, friends sacrifice for each other. And, you know, you, you, you solve your problems not with techno babble and spells that don't exist in the real world, but by courage and bravery and sacrifice. So it doesn't mean, you know, quick Snape, wave your wand and cure the leukemia. Well, it doesn't work that way, Harry. You gotta give bone marrow. <laughs> So yeah, you know, there's, yeah. like there's there's, well, there's I liked, gotta be a. I really liked the magical view of needles. You know what did y'all? Yeah, I, I liked the story of how he went and the needle bent, and like how he has this fear of needles, and it's set up already here in chapter nine. But the he can stand the Cruciatus curse. So he can't stand a needle. It's like he can defeat Voldemort, but he can't go on a date. It's, that's well, I guess I mean everybody has their own their own thing. You know, and and we find here that one of Harry's things is needles. It's like me and clowns, for example. We learn about the decorum, which I liked. This this chapter probably made decorum one of my favorite words. Oh, definitely. I use it's it. It's a good now. word. I love the word. <laughs> there word. are several words that I have learned from this story. Runes. Like prolix. Arithmetic. Oh, I know. I sat here with the dictionary with some of the pages, and I was so Seriously. excited to find new words. I know, and some of them I actually use from in day to day now from the story. I told her <laughs> the other. Really I was, yeah, no. There, when you when we get later in the story, you'll find that Aspen writes something. I really applaud her on is she writes intellectually. There, you know, she and I think that's why there's so few Severus Snape fix out there that are really to this caliber because he's such. 
a hard character to write if you write him being as intelligent as mm. we think he should he be. He actually is. Yeah. Right. He has and, to be written by someone who's intelligent. Exactly. And she, I thought I think she just does it so well. But she backs up everything, and everything that she she writes is so smart. And, and I know that I would sit with an, a dictionary because it's not one of those things that if you miss the word, you kind of can get the context she actually writes it in a way that you don't understand what's going on unless you look up the word and you're like, oh. <laughs> I'm so confused. I know, but I think that's that's good. I think it's important that authors challenge their readers a little bit, make them work a little bit for it. But, um, yes, I, I think that, you know, fun. if you want to write Snape well, you have to be at least as intelligent as he is, if not a little bit more so. So I think that, you know, her character Congrats, Aspen. Aspen, I have to tell you, if you're as at least intelligent <laughs> as Snape, if someone ever says, step closer to the snake, he has a surprise for you, run the other <laughs> way. <laughs> Do not approach the snake that is hovering in the invisible protective shield. Run. <laughs> Or fly. Or fly. <laughs> fly is bear. Um, fly is bear. I, I really liked Harry's decision to go ahead with the uh, bone marrow thing and, and the surgery because he owes his mom. Yeah. I, I liked yes. that thought process That because I know I kept going, why is he even bothering? Why does he care? He's Harry. He, he's he, Harry. He's yeah. Harry. I mean, he, he cares when no one else would. He's Harry. He believes in people. He saved Wormtail. I mean, he, 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 a lot of that's just the character. I mean, he, he would, he would definitely do it. Now I have to admit that there is, there was confusion when I was reading, even when I was doing notes this last time, um, when they leave at the end of chapter nine, they're going back to the hospital mm-hmm. and at chapter 10 starts back at Hogwarts. Yeah. It basically says that, you know, this, this is very uh, quick flashback that they went into the room and they talked Vernon yeah. into it and, well, and th- and that makes sense too. It's 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 like the episode we had. A few, we were joking back in the seventh Horcrux about you know there's a scene where Ginny gets rushed into the hospital wing, and Rinna, you know, who works in an emergency room, said, okay, <laughs> if that really happened, you know, they would take her into a room and and find out when her last period was and see if she had chicken pox. Does she smoke? And, Is she sexually and active? You know, we're gonna put you on that bench for four hours, then we're gonna come back and see if you're dead, and if you're not dead, then we're gonna do some more tests. We're going to call Psych or Naval and all this. So, I mean, you know, like in, in a lesser fic, you know, Harry would have, you know, given the bone marrow, you know, that morning and she would have been fine by Thursday. It doesn't happen like that. Come back in three months. You know, if, you, if you're not going to come back, write us a letter. I mean, that's how it, that's how it goes. Now, let me just say this because we're getting near the end of the chapters for tonight. My concern up until this point, and I, no one yell foreshadowing at me if I get it right. My concern was that we were going to immediately have a situation when, you know, to force Ron Hermione off of the stage, so it would be Harry and, 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 and Sev, I was very concerned that you were going to have a blow-up fight with Ron and Hermione within the first chapter of his return, and they would, like, never be seen again in, in, in the fic. And, and, and oh, no, that doesn't happen. Well, oh, yeah, and, and I want to know what that happens next. I mean, that was my fear. My, it, it's kind of like we were talking uh, in the last podcast about if you have Harry and Hermione together, Ron is either dead or, you know, had, you know, a brain aneurysm or something, or he <laughs> had a brain tumor, or he's eating somewhere for the last four years, and he, he, he has no human contact. 
I mean, it, it's. I think that's an honest fear, though. Yeah. I think a lot of people write fakes like like Snape adopts Harry because they don't like canon and they don't like where it yeah. went. But I think Aspen embraced canon. And I think this is just a story of what if, not necessarily, I don't like anything about the magical world, and I'm just going to create my own story with these character names. Yeah, I mean, that was the fear of mine. Right. The fear of mine in the beginning was that Ron and Hermione would be ridden off very shortly to make room for Snape. You know, and, they do that in a lot of stories. Yeah, and when you saw what happened with Dumbledore, when you see Dumbledore, you know, seem like, you know, confused old grandpa looking for his car keys in one scene and Snape being the voice of reason, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, now they're going to do it to Ron next. Ron will develop an well, eating disorder. I didn't necessarily see that. Ron will develop, an e- <laughs> will, will develop an eating disorder and Hermione will go off to care for him and they'll never be heard from again. And instead what we get is Ron and Hermione, you know, flirting like crazy on the couch and Harry doing the eyebrow thing and, you know, the two of them giggling and Harry feeling very happy for them. I would much rather see them off in a relationship, and that's what's taking up a lot of their time. Which I'm, I'm assuming they're not going to be critical characters in this, but like I'm, I'm okay with that. And I was so, you know, afraid reading through the fight that they have, you know, in the room of requirement. I was so afraid there was going to be that moment at the end when Ron turns away from ha- like, I, like you know, I can't believe you stuck up for Snape or whatever. I was afraid there would be some type of moment there, <laughs> and instead, you know, like I really was, like, I, or I, would, I was afraid, you know, Snape would like you know slip and obliviate them, and they'd have no idea who Harry is, and they'd like go off to St. Margo's and never hurt. Like I was worried about that. And instead, we get Hermione saying, "We love you, Harry. We're never going to abandon you." Which I was uh, like, "Thank you." It was wonderful. I agree. I felt the same way. I'm like, "Thank but you, God." Yeah. I have to laugh again oh, because. Well, you'll I guess you'll see, but but it's done in a way. Someone throw me cheese. I, I don't know how to even mention it without mentioning it, but well, it needs to be mentioned. Well, some, okay, but it well. needs to be okay. because it's. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think anyone who reads the story knew reading it that it was a Harry Snape adoption story, and as such, the traditional support mechanisms that Harry has will not be there to the extent that you would expect them if this was, you know, a seventh year Hogwarts. Well, I will say, yeah, I'm sorry. I will say that I guess what I was trying to say is it's not, it's not throughout the fake Harry, Hermione and Ron going, whatever, Harry, I'll support you in whatever. That is not the case because I don't feel that that's their character either. Yeah. But at the same time, and, and I think that the trio go through as many issues as Harry and Severus and, and later on Draco do. I think, does anyone agree with me on that point? Oh, they do. They go through yeah. a lot of adjustment. Yeah, I guess my thing is I don't want, I was afraid you would have in chapter 10, chapter 11, the end of the trio, the beginning of a new age with Harry and Severus, you know, trying, no, that to, doesn't happen, trying but that, to figure out, should we have Chinese tonight? We had Chinese last night. Do you want to go Chinese again? I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on Chinese? Yeah. I didn't want it to be one of those moments. with. That's you. just not the, that's not how Aspen writes. I mean, she doesn't want to disclude things that are important. Right. I mean, in. You know what? When when you tell people, hey, we're reading, you know, a Harry, you know, Snape fic, like Tina. Tina would never have read this fic if, if Parfic Weekly wasn't covering it. Maybe that was one of the fe- Like, Tina, was that one of the fears that you had in the beginning, that this might be? Yes, I guess so. It, because it, it's not how... I mean, I think you and I discussed this before. I, to up till now, mostly have read things that are like canon. And... Right away, I, I did get the feeling that this was going to be 
something completely different from that. So I had to wrap my mind around that a little bit. Um, and I I felt in these first chapters, she really was setting up Harry's isolation and why he did end up turning to Snape. So I I could kind of see that coming. Yeah. I was afraid maybe I was, maybe it will come. Maybe I'm, going to read chapter 12 tomorrow and be like, oh, that's when it happens. But I think I, I anticipated there being that isolation. I think it's part, you need that for a good plot. I was afraid how she would do it and how, yeah. you know, would she do, right. yeah. like, you know, the classic Harry Hermione. Oh, didn't you hear They Ron? all get in a big fight. And yeah. Ron was tragically it. killed this morning. Oh, Harry, you look so yeah. nice today. You know, like, and, and like, <laughs> like, like, like I was afraid of that, which would not be good. Yeah. No. Harry no. resorted yeah. into Slytherin, given a new name, given a new yeah. identity. He's a woman yeah, now. Yeah. He's not allowed to tell his friends now. who he is. Yeah. With, I won't tell you what happens, but I will say that what happens is not unexpected and, and, I would say Hermione and Ron, they have their own progressions that they have to work through. And, and she takes the time with them just as she takes the time with everything else. And it, it doesn't feel rushed. And, and, but you know, Ron and Hermione, I mean, is it one of those things where you go, well, you know, they're going to come through in the end or, or you think they won't, you know, and, and you realize what is actually their character. And when you think about it and you trust Aspen that she knows these characters, you know what I mean? She will. She she'll, she'll, she'll all do of them as right. well-rounded as Harry is. Right. She'll yes. do them right. She's not out to screw us on these characters. She's just out to show us maybe a different side of a few of them. Yeah. So, but uh, but I do like that. Um, moving moving on just a little bit. Just. A- um, I believe Harry gets his results back, and he yes. goes and he finally lets Ron and Hermione know what's going on, and Snape follows. And threatens to obliviate Hermione, <laughs> which I found. Well, I think her. I, I think I was maybe not clear on what obliviate. What like Snape obliviated? You know the the receptionist, and you know the, I'm sure the receptionist lived a very productive life after that. But when he obliviates, is that he, a new concept? I can't remember what we knew in no, five. No, we knew that. You we can, knew that Neville Longbottom. No. 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 Obliviate yeah. is what happened to um, dumbass. Second year defense against Dark Gilderoy Lockhart. But it's you know that was you know premeditated. I'm gonna wipe your entire memory because because your lives are over. But you can obliviate someone to make them forget what they had for breakfast this morning, and I, like you, you know you you can obliviate. Because this happened in Deathly Hallows. Her- Hermione obliviates her parents and makes them think they're Australians. And I think that the problem that you have with that is that, you know, I'm under the impression that he's going to make Hermione get confused and forget where she was this morning and she'll forget having seen the letter. The way she reacts is that she's going to forget, like, everything she's ever learned. She's acting like she's about to be killed. And- well, somebody with that much intelligence might fear yeah. that a mistake would would ruin who she is. Yeah. That was, I guess that was my thing. I was under the impression reading through it that he was going to do what he did, you know, back at the hospital and this would, he would make her forget, you know, the events of this afternoon and her response to it was like, you know, like, like crumbling to the ground. I'm like, okay, this is Emma Watson from Gobble of the Fire. I'm a little confused by the reaction (laughs) to this moment. Like, please pass the toast. (laughs) Like, okay, Hermione's having another day. (laughs) 
I made Jen finally laugh. I What's wrong with Hermione part. this morning? Oh, her, her laundry's not done yet. Just <laughs> That's funny. I liked Harry. Uh, I liked Snape giving Harry the new test and it actually being over the alternative readings. And Harry laughed this time instead of being pissed that he didn't know anything. I love this. He says he deserved it. Well, <laughs> he, yeah. well I love the joke too, where, where Hermione's like, "Harry, you should complain to the headmaster." And Harry smirked at the thought of a very confused Dumbledore saying, "Like Harry, like complaining but about hey. the test at the end of the year." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, and, and here's the scene. I, 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 I don't want to ignore the room requirement. You know, I, I thought it was a very well written scene, and it was. I was afraid reading it of what would happen, but it didn't, and it was it was very very well. Crafted scene. This is everything coming to a head. You know, Harry. You know, it, w- like Ron. Why are you being like this to Snape? You know, he, she threatens to you know obliviate Hermione. And you ask him to sit down, and like, uh, you know, he he like he screams back. Well, he threatened to take points from Gryffindor. The points don't matter. And Hermione plays peacemaker and says, "No, Ron. Points don't matter. You know, he's yeah, you know, yeah. he, he, he could die doing this." And they hug, and, and it's just simple. You know, they hug. The three of them hug, and they're going to stick in this together and. You know, Harry is able to pacify Snape. And I like the fact... And here's the thing. It's been two days. I mean, people have probably fallen in love in two days. The fact that Harry and Snape can reach an understanding in two days didn't throw me. And Harry's afraid that it's going to be gone. He's afraid that he imagined it. And, you know, why did he think that? Did he see Snape as a source of support? Did he see good in Snape and did it want to go away? I don't know. But he's afraid... Like, he, he... he basically, you know, like he starts swearing at him to the point where he almost lost a thousand points, and you know he gets away with it because. And yeah. I love the scene when he's in class later, and Snape, you know, pushes him to the point of tears, but then you know uses lets, the word decorum. And, and yeah, and now, did, now I have a question: Did Harry call him on that on his use of decorum? Is that why he said it? No, he just acknowledges it. So he, Snape he, figures he out. Hears the word, yeah. Well, Snape uses the word decorum. He says, "Show a little decorum." And Harry realizes what that means, and that refers to their other conversation, and he relaxes. That's what I'm asking. Car. There was a previous conversation about decorum. Oh, yeah, over the dinner table at the kitchen. Yeah. Okay. Over I, the kitchen I, table. I remember Harry thinking it. I wasn't sure if he actually had said it, so I was assuming he had. Yeah, but I really like that. And I love the moment when Harry, you know, comes back for his detention. And, and you know, Phil. No, no, wait. Before they do that, yeah. can I just say the funniest line of this chapter? Like, I laugh every time. Where Draco comes by and lets Harry know he got detention for not finishing the potion because Snape assigned him the test instead of the potion to do, and Hermione lets out the strangled scream. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh every time. It's hysterical. It reminds me of Schroeder from Charlie Brown when you know he just screams. (laughs) (laughs) I can't stand it. I just. Can't stand it. I love it, yeah. Oh, I am the biggest Charlie Brown geek ever. I love Charlie Brown. Yeah, yeah it's like Hermione who's screaming at Harry, you need to go to the headmaster, and you need to, how dare he do this, and blah, 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 blah. And Harry's like, I think the entire thing is rather humor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that Harry at now is perceptive enough to know that Snape is playing a role here. And this is when I first realized that it's important for Snape to play this role because there are many Death Eaters in this class. 
And yeah. that maybe for the first time, things aren't always what they seem. Yeah, and I love it too because I listen to this on my iPod because I listen to the stories because I usually don't have time to read them. And I, it, I'm, it's reading the list of, you know, suggestions off of, you know, off of the paper. You know, his his thoughts on Harry's awful paper, number three or number four of which or whatever is Draco Malfoy is listening. And I heard that said, and I didn't read. It, I heard it. So sometimes when I read, like my mind, you know eyes go down too far and I read it before it happens. So I thought that was just a re- I'm like, da 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 da, Draco Malfoy is listening. That was a perfect okay. note. That that was okay. a perfect note. And then as they go back up, you know, Harry and Ron and Hermione, they're okay and they're going back up, you know, to, and, and Snape kind of pulls Harry aside and I, 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 and they're, they're in the shadows having this conversation and, you know, I, I love the moment where they're, they're trying, you know, they're, they're coming to an understanding about what happened and, you know, it, ha- Snape acknowledges the fact that Hermione inexplicably, you know, cares for Harry and she's not going to betray him. And I love just, you know, the, the, there's the references throughout these chapters to Gryffindor versus Slytherin. You know, the Slytherin's obviously bad, the Gryffindor's obviously good. And we all know there's a lot more gray to that. So I, I love the moment when, you know, well, you know, you know, he's a Gryffindor. Hermione's a Gryffindor. Well, you know, so was Peter Pettigrew. You know, you know, that is not, that is not, you know, a valid answer. And you're like, okay. And, you know, and you, and you realize for once, okay, the greasy guy might actually be right. You know, you can't go with that. And I, I love the moment that their scene closes with Snape actually laughing for, I think, the first time I've ever heard him in canon or fan yes. fiction laughing. Just by the look on Ron's face when Harry swore at Snape. Oh, that was great. And got away with it. That was Yeah. <laughs> it was such a moment that Harry needed all these years. Sigh. <laughs> Ken's like, I've waited my whole life for this moment. <laughs> Well, oh. it was no singing until I got here. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> Let's sing the national anthem. No, no, let's not. <laughs> Fair enough. I like that we see here that Snape at the end of this chapter that we see that Snape has issues with trust. It's not just Harry. Like he brings yeah. up Peter Pettigrew to Ron. He brings up the fact that Lord Voldemort trusts him. I think it's just as important that we find out that Snape can trust someone as Harry needs somebody to trust. Right. So I like that that was introduced here. I like Harry's response. How can he trust you? You're a Slytherin. So by definition, you play all sides against the middle. It's just... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, and, and I, I, I like it. Yeah, Gryffindor blinders. Well, you're a Gryffindor. You must be trustworthy. Um... Okay, how are your parents doing? Yeah. <laughs> how are Lily but, and Jim? But all in all, what are everyone's opening thoughts to getting into the story after rereading after reading one through eleven? It took me a while to get into it, and I know in the beginning I was just a lot of the hairy internal dialogue bothered me. But once I got past that, and you start getting into some of the character and development and whatnot um i didn't expect to want to continue reading it just because it's it was something so different than what i've read before but i'm i've stuck with it and my initial reactions are i don't really remember now because i i'm I'm so far ahead in the fic are you are you pleasantly surprised by some aspects at the very least of the fic yes i mean is it something that you that you regret reading or is it something that you are glad that you read it. I'm glad I read it um, because it it is something just completely different, and it it just takes 
like you said, the cannon and just takes it in a different direction. I know that the, 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 the hardest thing for me in reading this fic is that my um, expectations of other writing and other fics has gone up because the standard she set in her style of writing and in how she writes is so is so deep and, and thoughtful and intelligent. And it's hard for me to get into a fic where the writing isn't as good because... To me, she just paints a picture so well that I expect that of my fan fiction, which I'm sure you all know. It it makes it difficult to find a, a, a read that you consider worthy after reading a fic like this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying, and it. I think the reason I have continued with it and I am enjoying it is if I, I just had a hard time getting past what how I feel about Snape in the canon. Yes. <laughs> which if you're yeah. on the forums, you know, I go about that. Um, so once I'm, I'm getting past that and just trying to get myself into a different mindset about it, yeah. it, it, it is written wonderfully. So that I, I think if it was another fic that maybe wasn't written as well, I wouldn't have been able to get past, you know, how I feel about Canon Snape to get into it. Yeah. yeah that's, that's my yeah. reaction to, um, um, the we can- got perfect timing, didn't we? Yeah, like yeah, like I'm the canon-esque guy who you know, if I'm going to take you know my first you know journey into a non-canon fic, I'm taking one that is extremely well written and one that really I'm going to use it again lubricates you know the transition into into the you know what I mean <laughs> it's, like any other fic I probably would have not liked it you know, and swore I would never read anything non-canon-esque again. And I, and I, and I didn't do that because it's, it's so far it sucked me in. And, you know, this is my second read through. I read it and then I read it again. I read it the first time months ago. And to be honest, I wasn't impressed with the characterization. I wasn't in the mindset to be able to really be reading it. And it wasn't a good experience. I read it again much more carefully now, you know, after Deathly Callows came out, you know, after I, you know, cleared my head a little bit, and I, I, I've really enjoyed it. And apparently, I've stumbled upon some things which I, 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 I foreshadowed without even knowing it. So, <laughs> I'm signed on for 13 episodes, dude. Awesome! I'm really glad. I'm glad. Well, I have to be here. I, I, no one else knows how to record. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's enlightening. <laughs> I, I well, think my. Initial reactions, I think, were a little bit unfair, but um, at the same time, you know, I kind of walk away with a a kind of 50-50 feeling about this fic, whereas where I enjoy most of it, but some parts of it are so hard for me to enjoy given what I've learned to read, that uh, I, I think the best part of this fic, like in general, is how well it's made or read, how well... Um, her style, you know, how good her style is, um, how well it's written, like those type of things that, that make it more palpable to me. I, I don't necessarily enjoy the storyline or the characterization, but, uh, I've been able to continue reading, but despite those facts, cause it's written so well. And that's an, int- that's the, uh, and a testament to how well Aspen writes. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, for any, like if you, like everyone loves Harry Potter who, who, 
you know, reads the series and listens to fan fiction. So you love, you know, to some extent, the staples of, of, of the series so that when you, you know, go to fan fiction, you know, as you broaden out from those staples, you're not going to pull everyone with you. So the fact that I think we're pulling as many people as we can is a testament. So Yeah, I, I, I just think that this is one of those stories that if you really love reading emotionally angsty, uh, drawn out mm-hmm. things, this is the story for you. If you like Comfort Harry... This is the story for you. If you know, it, it just depends kind of what you're looking for in a fic. And uh, if you're looking for that kind of thing, this one tops the cake, man. So, but anyway, that was this was a lovely discussion. I'm so pleased. I I, I am taking a six hour car ride tomorrow. So Jen has just sent me the link. <laughs> yeah, I get to drive all the way to Connecticut. Then I get there, turn the car around, drive all the way back. So. I am yeah, going. I think it's supposed to be raining really bad in Connecticut tomorrow. Uh, Sorry, lovely. maybe okay. I'm wrong. Hopefully not. <laughs> I'm taking a nine-hour car ride tomorrow. <laughs> Why is it taking you six hours to get to Connecticut? Because it takes me three hours to get there, and then I turn the car around. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant one way. I'm going. What? Nope. Where? I'm. Pick, I'm, 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 I'm keeping Danielle up in Connecticut and driving her back. So I will be listening to a year like another in the car and. When I pick her up and start driving back, I will continue to listen to a year like none other in the car, and she will be very confused. But it is my fault. <laughs> and like many people, when I listen to fan fiction in the car and they ask me, "What is this you're listening to?" I will answer as I always do, NPR. Oh gosh! Unless go. he's ha- unless he's having examples of Jen in the wells, and then he's like, "Yeah, this is my friend. Isn't she hilariously stupid?" Can I just tell you, my coworkers love you, Jen. They do? What? I actually, I I gave, I, I had a coworker who was having a very bad day, and I was listening to episode, the special edition number four, which is on the end of canon, which uh, Tina and, and myself <laughs> and I were in. So I, 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 I don't I, remember. I, I walked over to her desk with my iPod, and I put my, my earbuds into her ears, and I said, I want you to listen to my friend Jen tell you about her vacation to Yellowstone. And I walked back to my desk. I said, it runs about 15 minutes. I walked back to my desk, and all I could hear was her laughing out loud. And, like, she had to put her papers down and stop because she was laughing so loudly that you you made one woman, you know, very happy. So It's really strange to hear. (laughs) Jen's like, I have a fan base. (laughs) You know, it's really weird being me right now. Apparently, I have fangirls. When I, when I drove to work today, I drove and I noticed I was pulling up on the way there. The, one of my coworkers was in front of me, so I followed her to, to the office. And we got out of our cars and she looked at me and she said, I'm listening to your podcast on my iPod. And I, I'm listening to you speak and I look in my rearview mirror and you're driving in the car behind me. <laughs> and I find that awkward. That's weird. So your people at work listen to our podcast. Oh, I gave, I put them in front of, um, no, it was a friend of mine who, who just saw Order of the Phoenix and wanted to talk about it with me. And I'm like, I haven't seen it, but, but I know this podcast you can listen to. So listen to that And now they're listening to the, to, to the Deathly Hallows one. And I'm like, what what part do you like? I love the girl who drove over the squirrel. That was Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. No, I just think it's really funny. We've done Jen's accent already. Okay, so I just realized I have to be at work in seven hours. We should probably, and I'm, I think Tina's in the follow-over soon, so we should probably end the... Uh, yes. So, everybody, right. thank you 
so much. Well, first, show me, tell people what we have coming up next week, what to read. Yeah, do you remember? Yeah, I have it here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Without remember. me, Jen, I'm the glue that, that holds Jen's life together. You're more than the glue, dude. You're like, <laughs> you're like my epoxy. <laughs> Coming from Boston, where actually pieces of bridges, like underpasses, like fall on cars and crush people because, like, the glue isn't. So we will be back next week. We'll be covering chapters 12 through 22 of A Year Like None Other. Almost just said after the end there, didn't do it. And uh, we hope you'll all join us back. Kim, thank you so much for doing this with us tonight for your first time. Are you, are you scared? Well, thank you. Uh, yes, I was terrified, but I've gotten over it. And thank you for being so great with me. No problem. How long did it take you to realize that we're very crazy people? That we're, I told you um, we were George. At least so seven seconds. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I'm glad that it's not more. Well, you have an so open invitation to come back whenever you'd like. I hope you're doing every week, dude. We play here all week. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Absolutely. I'd love to do this story with you. No problem. So uh, with that, uh, unless anyone else has anything, I think we're out of here. Bye. Nice meeting you all. <laughs> See you next time. Have good night. night. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Potterfic Weekly. I'm Meg, new to the forums and listening to the podcasts, but I'm absolutely loving every minute of it so far, usually laughing so hard it hurts or I cry, and thoroughly addicted to the forums as well. Anyway, a year like none other. First, I should say I've never really read a fic like this before. While I've been a fan for years, I only started reading fan fiction after Half-Blood Prince, and I was really picky then. I would only read stuff that was post-HBP, never anything AU, and definitely with not if it had any kind of non-canon ships at all. But times have changed, especially since the release of Deathly Hallows. The fact that I've been reading some Draco Hermione fan fiction as a guilty pleasure certainly vouches for that but i'm willing to read a broader spectrum of fix now and a year like none other is proving to be a good place to start as far as novel length fix uh... it's been difficult to get past some of my initial pangs of that is so out of character and i've never really liked snape to begin with but i'm relaxing i'm trying to enjoy it for what it is and have found it fascinating Hermione's been a bit annoying even for me, and that's sort of hard to believe because I usually defend her to the death, even when she's annoying or irritating in canon. But overall, by chapter 11, I'm really engrossed in the story and looking forward to the rest. I just am working on having an open mind, and I'm pretty excited about it because there's a lot of different things like this in the fandom as far as the fan fiction goes. Anyway, thanks guys. Love the show. If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potherfickweekly.com or you can email staff at potherfickweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781-352-0643 and you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length or you can email us an audio file to our email address and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called the Gizmo Project and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit polarfickweekly.com.